Good afternoon, everyone. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the February 5th, 2024 regular meeting of the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I am Supervisor Myrna Melgar, Chair of the Committee, joined by Board of Supervisors President Aaron Peskin and Vice Chair Dean Preston. The committee clerk today is John Carroll. Um, and I would also like to thank Jaime Echeverri uh, for staffing this meeting for SFGov TV. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Please ensure that you've silenced your cell phones and other electronic devices you've brought with you into the chamber today. If you have any documents to include as part of the file, you should submit them to me by bringing them up to the rail. Public comment will be taken on each item on today's agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, please line up to speak along your right-hand side of the room. I'm pointing it out now with my left hand. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing. You may email your written public comment to me at j-o-h-n-c-a-r-r-o-l-l at sfgov.org, or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. The address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, San Francisco, California, 94102, and the clerk's office is room 244 within. If you submit your public comment in writing, it will be forwarded to the members of this committee and also included as part of the file on which you are commenting. And finally, Madam Chair, agenda items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of February 13th, 2024, unless otherwise stated. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Clerk. Please call item number one. Agenda item number one is a resolution adding the commemorative street name Veterans Alley to the zero block of Shannon Street in recognition of the San Francisco Veterans Mural Project, known colloquially as Veterans Alley, a community-based mural project located in the Tenderloin. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Vice Chair Preston, the floor is yours. Thank you, Chair Melgar and um, colleagues. I am proud to sponsor today's resolution for a commemorative uh, street name designation of Shannon Alley uh, between O'Farrell and Geary uh, to Veterans Alley. Uh, and let me start by thanking you, Chair Melgar. I know we've got old, we've had some very busy agendas here, including this one, and very much appreciate uh, you making time to, uh, to calendar this and hear this item. Um, so uh, the Veteran, Veterans Alley Mural Project, which is also known as Veterans Alley or Vets Alley for short, uh, was founded in October 2011 by Amos Gregory and uh, Gilbert Lovato, two uh, U.S. military veterans. Um, Mr. Gregory is, uh, I believe, if not here, oh, he has just arrived, is here with us today. Uh, Mr. Lovato uh, sadly passed away in 2021. Um, in 2011, uh, Shannon Alley was a troubled uh, alleyway, an inactive area uh, nestled between uh, Geary and O'Farrell to the north and south and, and Jones uh, and Taylor to the east and west. Um, and keenly aware of the high homeless veteran population in the neighborhood, uh, Amos and Gilbert um, believed that uh, by transforming the alley would help transform the community, and they soon began uh, the mural project and invited other veterans uh, and their loved ones to add to the walls and the, the murals along this alley. Um, for many San Francisco veterans, 
This uh, was the first time they've been able to share their stories and uh, process their military experience in a productive, uh, positive way. Vets Alley's become a gathering place for San Francisco's veterans to find camaraderie with other veterans, uh, to, ip to uplift the dialogue about the realities of war and the military experience, and to find services for veterans who are struggling. The art draws uh, a regular crowd of visitors and colleagues. If you have not been out there yet, I would urge you to come visit uh, Vets Alley. Happy to meet you out there anytime. Um, it, is, it is visitors really from all over, uh, from San Francisco, residents from all over the city um, to increasingly international uh, tourists and other visitors to our city. Uh, Veterans Allen Alley has created a sister city mural project, the Deported Veterans Mural Project, uh, which is located in Tijuana, Mexico, uh, on the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, Vets Alley artists work directly with deported U.S. military veterans advocating uh, for their repatriation to the United States. Uh, Vets Alley, in recognition uh, that the first victims of war uh, are too often children, uh, they've also created the Syrian Refugee Children's Mural Project, where Vets Alley artists collaborate with Istanbul-based Syrian artists to work with Syrian children displaced by war to create art in schools and community centers in Istanbul. In the Tenderloin, the artists of Veterans Alley have not only brought powerful art to this space, but also have helped improve safety and cleanliness of the alley through community engagement, activating the alley, and hosting regular block parties in partnership with other community groups to bring life to the formerly uh, inactive block. So I've had the pleasure of uh, visiting the alley many times. I'm very proud of the cultural space that it holds in our district. Um, and after the redistricting in 2022, when the Tenderloin uh, became part of District 5, one of the first meetings that I had uh, was with the Veterans Alley Mural Project uh, to meet with Amos and other artists. Uh, and we've been working together to support the project. So I'm extremely excited that we're here uh, today to honor the, the art, the artists, uh, and the importance of Veterans Alley and the mural project uh, through this commemorative street naming. Um, I want to comment that my office has received what can only be described as a, an outpouring of uh, overwhelming support from neighbors and neighborhood groups for Veterans Alley. Um, I'd like to recognize and thank Tenderloin Tenants, uh, Tenderloin, uh, the Tenant Association Coalition of San Francisco, TNDC Tenants, uh, North of Market Planning Coalition, Alliance for a Better District 6, uh, Tenderloin Tree Campaign, Central City Democrats, Demonstration Gardens, Theater District Neighbors, and many other uh, individual residents of the neighborhood for their support. Um, and I especially want to thank the co-founder of uh, Veterans Alley, who will speak in a minute, Amos Gregory, for bringing this idea for street naming uh, to our office and working with us on this effort. Uh, also want to thank our co-sponsors. Um, so far, Supervisors Walton, Dorsey, Safai, President Peskin, Supervisor Stephanie, uh, and Supervisor Mandelman. Um, and uh, colleagues, I've asked uh, Mr. Gregory to be here. Uh, I understand he has a short presentation uh, for the committee, Madam Chair, uh, to provide some more context uh, about Veterans Alley. Thank you. Welcome, Mr. Gregory.
Hello. Thank you. Uh, my name is Amos Gregory, and I'm the co-founder of the San Francisco Veterans Mural Project, or Veterans Alley, as it's known today. Um, we founded um, Veterans Alley in October 2011, and um, it was Gilbert Lovato and myself. Um, and this was after a year of doing work with unhoused veterans in the Tenderloin. Um, we had founded a uh, photography project, which was aimed at uh, photographing unhoused veterans um, in 2010 uh, on the streets to give them a positive self-image of themselves and to break down the barriers between ourselves and the, the veterans that were uh, sleeping outside to begin to advocate for them. And um, I met Gilbert Lovato, who um, to this day is the toughest, baddest, most gentle unhoused person that I've ever worked with. And um, he had been on the streets for 15 years when I met him. And um, Gabriel, his street name is Gabriel, and I developed a really deep friendship. Uh, he eventually lived with me before he um, got his housing. And one night we were walking around the Tenderloin at 3 o'clock in the morning. We were photographing. And he walked me towards uh, an alley, which was Shannon Street. And he challenged me. And he said, he said, kid, if you really want to do something for this community, if you really want to do something for these residents here in this neighborhood, do something with this alley. And I'd never painted a mural in my life. I'm a visual artist. I had, I had concentrated for a decade on photography and, and photographing, you know, oppressed groups of individuals. And um, I immediately took on this challenge. And I said, Gabe, we're going to start to paint murals here, and I'm going to make you famous. And um, to show the power of uh, community art and our community that we have here in San Francisco, I reached out to a few folks um, that are visual artists here in San Francisco, one of them being uh, Clarence Dobbs and Rego 23. Clarence Dobbs and Rego 23 are the co-founders of Clarion Alley Mural Project. And they are wonderful, uh, great artists who um, saw the value in the project that we were proposing. And we worked with these two individuals and several different visual artists here in uh, the city and guiding us into how to create a mural project, how to actually create a placemaking um, that visually represents the community that is around us. Um, we took on all that we could from all the uh, different sources and October 2011, we laid down our first um, mural in Veterans Alley. Little did I know that, you know, this is gonna be a, a lifetime challenge um, for us, we're here 11 years later. And um, we started off with unhoused veterans. And um, from there, the project built upon what we had created. And we've housed veterans that are millionaires. We've had famous veterans coming through the alley. We've had outreach from presidents who are, um, who are uh, veterans themselves. Um, and we just kept on with the project. Um, and then we expanded the project, of course, um, to include deported veterans who are down in um, Mexico and in other locations. And we've also spread the project 
um, to Istanbul, Turkey, where we traveled with ourselves and several college students who had been working with us. We brought them to Turkey and we were invited. We've never gone into any space where we were not invited. I was invited by the unhoused community to go into Shannon Street. We did artwork for Syrian refugees and Veterans Alley. They found out about it. They invited us to come and, and collaborate with them. We've done artwork for deported veterans and we've been invited to collaborate with them. And so um, what we thought was just gonna be a mural project for particularly mainly unhoused veterans has turned into a project that incorporates both veterans and non-veterans, not only abroad, but also here in the community in the Tenderloin. And so, you know, the motto, a military motto is leave no one behind. And we felt that, you know, with, you know, all the support that we receive from property owners, from everyday residents who are not veterans, and uh, the overall community that it was only proper for us once we had a footing within Veterans Alley to be able to expand it off and to offer services to non-veterans also. And so if you look at what we have today, you know, we, we have the mural project, we have an internship program in which we've brought in over 32 mainly non-veteran artists over the last two and a half years and trained them in the art um, science of uh, creating mural projects and activism. We've hosted numerous block parties uh, within the alley. We've hosted flea markets. We've hosted bicycle workshops. We've opened up a community center now. So we actually have a physical space where we hold workshops for the entire neighborhood and the community. And so a lot of people that I have listed here, a few people that I have listed here that I just like to, you know, read off their names because, you know, over the years, 13 years, I've interacted with well over a thousand plus individuals. But these key individuals were there in the beginning when there was just Gabriel, Gilbert Lovato and myself running around trying to figure out how to create a mural project. These are Mr. Regal 23, co-founder of the Clarion Alley Mural Project, Ms. Megan Wilson, curator of the Clarion Alley Mural Project, Clarence Dobbs, co-founder of the Clarion Alley Mural Project, rest in peace, Alfonso Tricador of the Mission District Poet Society, which has, which has really supported Veterans Alley in so many ways over the years. Mr. Daniel Doherty, a personal mentor and school teacher here in San Francisco. The Clarion Alley Mural Project, which is, you know, if you look at San Francisco, people talk about our alleyways and they talk about all the different types of mural projects that we have in the city. But if you really look at it, these projects are done by very few people. There's maybe about 15 to 20 people in the city that are at the core of um, these projects and we have a community and we support one another and without the support of this particular community and um, the example of a balmy alley the example of a clarion alley there would be no veterans alley we'd also like to uh, thank mr daryl smith of the tenderloin national forest and the luggage store gallery if there was no tenderloin national forest and luggage store there would be no veterans alley 
And also, finally, I'd like to thank uh, Dornia. I don't know Dornia's last name, but she was a, um, she was a worker at a, um, a shop called the Irish Castle that used to sit at the edge of Shannon Street. And Dornia, who's, uh, who lost a, um, a boyfriend in the Vietnam War, really took heart to early on to our project. And she ran out to me one day in the middle of the alley. She said, honey, I don't know if you know what you're doing or what you, what you realize what you've created, but when you do, I want you to name this project Veterans Alley. And so that's how we got our name, Veterans Alley. Thank you, Dornia. Thank you, all the community members. Thank you, all the partners that we partner with, Glide, TNDC, Tenderloin People's Congress, Skywatchers, um, Tenderloin National Forest, uh, Demonstration Gardens, uh, YMCA. We've, we've done so much work with so many groups in the community that um, I feel like you know we've known them forever and um, all the support and, um, and backing that we've had has been really, really, really appreciated. And um, we thank uh, Supervisor Dean Preston for bringing this forward uh, with us to uh, see if we can get this name finally changed to Veterans Alley. Thank you very much, appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mr. Gregory. I um, mean, unless there are questions and, uh, or comments, would love to have no question. Comments. I'd just yeah. like to be added as a co-sponsor. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, let's uh, go to public comment now uh, on this item, please, Mr. Carroll. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have come to the chamber today to give public comment on agenda item number one, please come forward to the lectern at this time. And if you are waiting for your opportunity to speak, please line up to speak along that western wall of the room. And when the first speaker is ready, I'll start your time. Okay. <clears throat> I'm Richard Hack of 535 Geary Street for a number of decades. You received my detailed letters, so I'll just make some general points. Since the project began, Mr. Gregory has conducted about zero outreach to neighbors of Shannon Street and held no public meeting, which are against city protocols. He has paid, uh, the only building on the block of five buildings that's given him permission to paint there is the Gateway Inn at O'Farrell and Shannon. He's painted on people's windows and walls without their permission. He has slandered me racially and threatened my reputation, and I'm not the only one to get the treatment. Most of the buildings on Shannon don't let him paint. <clears throat> yeah, uh, just one panel on the mural has any recent painting, maybe 10% of the almost half-block mural. Much better older work has disappeared from the vicinity. Yet we have come to understand he has done helpful work for veterans in the past, but numerous community residents have seen no evidence of such work for some years. We hear he does a lot of work in Oakland, but he's not spending San Francisco grant money there, is he? So what exactly would we be commemorating here? Maybe we should calm down and deny or delay this naming until we make a Sunshine Ordinance request to find out just how the project is spending the money we and others have given it. Meanwhile, let us also take down the Vets Alley street sign he put up under the regular Shannon Street sign months ago. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, my name is Rick Galliani. I'm the managing partner of 565 Geary Street, the apartment building on Geary and Shannon Alley. I'm not a big fan of the murals there. To me, it's not art, it's graffiti. I'm the managing partner, and I never gave permission for this to be done. 
None of my other partners have a say in the running of the building. It all has to come through me. I think it makes it harder for us to rent apartments there at a time when we really need to rent apartments. We paid $80,000 in property taxes this year, probably two and a half million in the 25 years that we've owned this building. But we have not taken one penny out in the last three years since COVID hit and the city has been such a disaster to deal with in dealing with tenants and everything else that's gone on there. The same goes for three of our four other buildings in the Tenderloin. In fact, we've had to put several hundred thousand dollars in out of pocket over the last three years. My nine partners are all retired, average age of 73 to 87, and this was going to be their retirement. Not so lucky at this point. I think it adversely affects our tenant, the valet on Shannon Alley. If I were a tourist or anyone parking downtown, I would think twice before pulling into a driveway where there's a dozen upside down white crosses painted on the entrance and all the other garble on the other side. You know, I'm not against veterans. My son-in-law is on the Roosevelt in Japan right now. My wife's father was a lieutenant colonel. Her brother was, her, he was a full bird. She, his, her brother was a colonel. Her other brother was a captain. Her other brother was a corporal. You know, my brothers were in the military. But I'm not against veterans. I'm just against all the things that are being done that keep us from getting business done. This is a business district, and this just does not look business-like. Speaker's time is concluded. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Amos gets 20 minutes, and I it's, get like 60 It's seconds. two minutes per speaker for public oh, comment. We need to hear from earlier? each of the next speakers for two minutes. Right. I well. didn't give permission. I'm going to paint it out on our Next public. speaker, please. Hi, my name's Joe Braden. I'm the uh, property manager of 535 Gary, which is uh, along the corner of Gary and Shannon Street. Our building runs about uh, more than a third of our side of Shannon Street, which is the block in question. I've been there six years. Uh, I also have an office right on Shannon, facing Shannon. We don't participate in the mural project. There's none of the mural on our side. Um, I'm only going, since I'm pressed for time, I'm only going to talk about one aspect that we've had problems with with this nonprofit. During their street events, they also paint the street. And uh, after the, it's happened three times since I've been there, six years. And when I've asked the special events department about it, they, he only, they only had permission for chalk. And uh, it took a lot to get the paint off because I found it was dangerous because these letters are three to six feet thick, 20 feet long, that's a lot of paint and uh, they become slippery when wet, and there's motorcycles and bicycles that travel that block. Um, so I'd have to, I had to basically go through Department of Public Works to have it done twice, because the following year he did it again, and the Special Events Department went ahead and gave him another permit. Actually, there's a third one there now. I just stopped asking to have it removed, and this one's been there two years. It's weathered and unsightly. Is that it? You have 26 seconds. Um, it's also hard to rent apartments when it overlooks this uh, basically graffiti on the street that wasn't approved. And also the sidewalks are only four feet wide. It's a one-way street. There's really no place for anyone to congregate. So this really shouldn't be an event uh, block. And, we, and basically I oppose the uh, 
renaming of the street for this organization. Thank you for sharing your comments. Next speaker, please. And before we hear from the next speaker, just a reminder to everyone, you're gonna hear two chimes. The first of the two chimes is a reminder that you have 30 seconds remaining and the second timer, uh, when you hear it, will be a little bit louder and that means your time is done. Speaker, please begin. Hi, my name is Danita Williams and um, I enjoy uh, you know, doing the mirrors a little bit, and I've been getting a lot of compliments, you know, from people like out, out of town and, and out of the city and everything. They're like, "Oh, you, you're doing a good job and stuff," and actually, it's making the alley look really, really nice. You know what I'm saying? Because other alleys just look all plain and everything, and this alley, it just looks like people are trying to do something for themselves. You know, and then a lot of people like just be, you know what I'm saying? It's a lot of people. Oops. Um, hello. A lot of people don't have other other things to do, so they find something to do that that get them off of drugs and and alcohol or whatever. So, you know, I think it's a good I think it's a good thing. So, thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Yes, hi, my name is Dwight Silva. Uh, I live at four four five O'Farrell uh, Street in two fourteen. Um, I I'm, a, I'm for the Veterans Alley being changed to, uh, or Shannon Alley being changed to Veterans Alley. Uh, I've been there for about seven years, and I've seen it change over time. And there's been a lot of art and uh, people coming through that are uh, interested, and I think it helps with the community. So I'm, I'm for, I'm agree. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, I'm Casey Rios. I'm with the Demonstration Gardens, the Tenderloin People's Congress. I work with the Luggage Store and a number of different artist coalitions in the Tenderloin. And I'm speaking in favor of recognizing the work of Veterans Alley by renaming the street officially as Veterans Alley. The whole rest of the neighborhood calls it Veterans Alley because of the uh, hard work that's been going on there, the way um, Amos and the uh, rest of his coalition have uh, really taken up the mantle of the proud tradition of arts leading the way for making our streets more livable in the Tenderloin, uh, more vibrant. Um, what I've heard Previously, and other speakers, unfortunately, uh, the people who are speaking against it, I hear a lot of coded language that has to do with uh, not appreciating the diversity in the neighborhood and wanting to do business as usual as in other neighborhoods. And this is our unique neighborhood, and Veterans Alley represents that well. So please, uh, I urge you to um, support it and let this be the beginning of more support so that we can have uh, continue to have more and more representation in all the different ways that we envision in, the, in, the, in Veterans Alley and in the neighborhood. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Hello, I'm Zachary Sexton, and I've been working and turning in the just uh, making friends around the Tenderloin for a long time, and I'm here in support of changing Shannon Alley to Veterans Alley. Veterans Alley is a place that I bring everybody I bring to San Francisco to because I think it encapsulates the spirit of the city and it encapsulates the spirit of the neighborhood. 
This is a place where people come together and create something beautiful. This is a place where people can collaborate and things where, and it's a place where people can do things for themselves. And I think in order to honor that and honor the spirit of the people, it is necessary and it is fitting to change down an alley to Veterans Alley. And I think the attitude of, you know, business owners in the area thinking that uh, this is in one way or another going to challenge their business more so than it would benefit the neighborhood I think is misguided and I think it's severely self-centered. There are people in this neighborhood who use this arts program and these social services as a way to not only improve their own lives but to make sure that everybody else in the neighborhood has a place to go that not only confirms their identity but gives them a sense of beauty in this neighborhood that is already beautiful on the inside and quite frankly I think that a lot of the restrictions that business owners are putting on this are uh, the source of many of the problems in the neighborhood and a lot of the challenges we can't have two opposing ideals operating in the same space we either honor the community or we look after the businesses that have not been looking after the neighborhood. So, thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hello, my name is Eddie Thomas, the third. Could I get you to pull that microphone <clears throat> right up to your face? There you go. Right there? Yep. Hello, my name is Eddie Thomas, the third. I am a part of the Mill Project, and we be out there fighting real hard to keep a safe environment for people. Amos is a very beautiful person, man. He fights real hard to help us in this community. And I fight hard with him. We, we got all kinds of, like he already addressed the projects that we have. But I, I just want to say I am very happy and proud of being a part of Mill Project. And I stay right across the street from where, we, um, where the Mill Project is. So like I said, God bless everybody. And, uh, Veterans Alley, I think, is a beautiful thing to do. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Anthony Ford. Um, I'm a resident of 445 O'Farrell. I've been there for a short while, but yet I've been there just about a year. Um, the development in, in this alley really did me a favor. I'm one of the ones that helped, you know, trying to keep it clean, what have you. You know, during the, during the middle of the night, I come through and try to help keep people off that area. I mean, it, it, like I said, it said, it's a place for people to get together and share, you know, it's a couple of days a week, basically, you know, they don't take the whole time up. And, and, and what, 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 is the little, what is the little art, you know what I mean? People don't recognize what art is, you know what I'm saying? Art has a function to it, and it gives people time to do something with their time instead of being out there selling drugs and doing what have you. you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I appreciate, I mean, appreciate what Amos is trying to do here also, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I mean, I saw it from a distance, but, um, and, and he pulled me on board, and I'm like, I think it's a, great, it's a great opportunity for people to get to do something with their time instead of you know, creating havoc around the city. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? And then if we have anyone else who has public comment please after me. this speaker, please line up to speak along that western wall. My name is Alfredo Tillman. I live at 445 O'Farrell. I've been there 15 years, and I'm, I'm one of them to work in the alley. Amos is good for us. All the crew right here, we work together. And we like to, we, we keep the alley clean and all that, you see what I'm saying? Because I'm, I'm under the desk clerks out there. But we keep the alley clean. God bless you Love y'all. Come down to the alleyway. It's, new. it's nice. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number one? Hi, my name is Shawana. I live at 445 O'Farrell. And I work with the, the, the Veterans Alley Program with Amos. He's a nice man to work with. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have any further comments? 
My name is Jonathan, and I live. I'm, I'm a member of uh, Collective Impact, and uh, over the last year or so, the alley has become. It's been a big improvement in the alley. I've It's got me more involved in community activities, and uh, people are coming to there now and taking pictures and everything. And uh, it's much much more positive flow in the community in that area where it used to be just negative all the time. But it's been a big improvement. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone further who has public comment on agenda item number one? Madam Chair. Okay. With that, uh, public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, Chair Preston, or Vice Chair Preston. Uh, thank you, Chair Melgar. And I for, first want to thank everyone uh, who came out and spoke uh, on this item and all the folks who've emailed us uh, and shared their thoughts. And uh, looking forward to this uh, moving forward, I, I do want to say that until the hearing, we had only heard uh, from one person, um, and Mr. Hack, who, who spoke in opposition. Uh, so some of the other uh, concerns that were raised by a couple other folks are, are uh, new to our office. We're happy to engage um, and you know, either facilitate conversations directly between um, the Veterans Alley folks and some uh, the neighboring residents and, and property owners, and uh, e either either by connecting you or uh, by in, engaging directly and, and facilitating or mediating. Um, I will say I've generally found um, Mr. Gregory open to the input uh, from from neighbors, um, and especially you know we've uh, in in advance of the. Uh, uh, one of the block parties, for example, we talked with a uh, property owner who didn't come here, but who had some concerns, and we're happy to have that uh, level of engagement. So please feel free to contact our office uh, with any concerns, um, but uh, even noting those concerns, I uh, just want to strongly um, uh, recommend uh, the support uh, from, from colleagues for this. I think it's a, a really important project that's been uh, overall very uh, positive uh, for the neighborhood and also very meaningful uh, for veterans, uh, unhoused folks, and uh, direct neighbors uh, of this project as well as visitors to the city. Uh, thank you. Can you make a motion, please? Yes, I'd like to move this uh, item with positive recommendation of the full board. On the motion offered by Vice Chair Preston that this resolution be sent to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of land use. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Okay, that motion passes. Mr. Clerk, uh, I'm going to just to uh, accommodate folks' schedule, uh, I'm going to call item three out of order, please. Agenda item number three is an ordinance amending the planning code to create the Family Housing Opportunity Special Use District. The uh, to, Excuse me. Second... Uh, to amend the planning code to authorize the greater of up to four units or one unit per 1,000 square feet or less of lot area on individual lots in the residential house district, up to six dwelling units on individual corner lots in the RH district, the greater of up to 12 units or one unit per 1,000 square feet of lot area on three merged lots and the greater of up to three units or one unit per 1,000 square feet of lot area on two merged lots in the RH1 districts, up to 18 units on corner lots resulting from three lot mergers in RH1 districts, up to 12 units on corner lots resulting from two lot mergers in RH1 districts, and group housing on RH1 districts for eligible projects in the 
special use district. Third, to amend the planning code to exempt eligible projects in the special use district from certain height, open space, dwelling unit exposure, and rear yard requirements, conditional use authorizations, and neighborhood notification requirements. Fourth, to amend the subdivision code to authorize eligible projects in the special use district to qualify for condominium conversion or a condominium map that includes the existing dwelling units and new dwelling units that constitute the project. Fifth, to amend the administrative code to require new dwelling or group housing units constructed pursuant to the density limit exception to be subject to the rent increase limitations of the rent ordinance. And sixth, the, to amend the zoning map to show the Family Housing Opportunity Special Use District and affirming the planning department's CEQA determination and other findings found throughout the city's code books. Okay, uh, I would like to welcome Supervisor Joel Ingardio, representing District 4. Um, and uh, I think we are gonna have a presentation by Ms. Flores first before I pass it on to you. Okay, welcome Ms. Flores. Sorry. Test. Okay, great, thank you. Um, good afternoon, Supervisors, Veronica Flores, Planning Department staff. The item before you is the Family Housing Opportunity Special Use District, or SUD. This is a follow-up ordinance to um, Chair Melgar's Family Housing Opportunity SUD, which is already in effect. Um, just briefly, the Planning Commission heard this item on October 5th of last year and recommended approval with modifications. The recommended modifications are as follows. Amend the density exception limits to also to the greater of one dwell unit per 1,000 square feet of lot area. So when the original file was duplicated, this increased density exception the one unit per thousand square foot of lot area was applied only to the non-corner lots and erroneously left out of this duplicate ordinance. So this recommended modification is to correct that omission. The second recommended modification is was to include RM1 within the eligible zoning districts for the SUD. And the third recommended modification was to allow lot mergers in RM1 and all of the RH zoning districts. Both of these amendments were incorporated for the area bounded by Great Highway, Lincoln Way, 19th Avenue, and Slope Boulevard. Um, so it's just within that subset of the larger SUD. The fourth recommended modification was to revise the required rear yard requirements to allow for the corner lot provision to be able to shift the rear yard to the interior corner of the lot, really to better respond to the neighborhood context. The mayor's recent housing constraints reduction ordinance actually made this amendment citywide. So now the ordinance in front of you today has removed the required regard requirements within the SUD because that is now just the base code and it is, um, will be live in the planning code already. And the last recommended modification was to decrease the proposed corner height limits from 65 feet to 55 feet. 
Um, this has not been incorporated into the ordinance. This concludes the commission report and I am available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. Flores. Uh, Supervisor Angardio, did you have any remarks? Yes, please, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Chair Melgar, committee members Preston and Peskin. Uh, a century ago, beautiful five and six story apartment buildings from the Art Deco era were commonly built throughout San Francisco. We see them on the west side on West Portal Avenue and Irving Street. San Francisco built multifamily housing until the 1970s, but since then, we've implemented zoning laws that limited many neighborhoods to single family units. As supervisor for the sunset, I hear from many residents who have housing needs that could be solved by once again embracing the five and six story apartment building. And here are two real life problems I'm hearing from longtime residents. One, people wanna stay close to their families, but multi-generational families with adult children and grandkids can't easily find housing opportunities in the same neighborhood. We're facing a missing middle of housing. Second, our seniors can't age in place. When it becomes too difficult to navigate a set of stairs or when a family home is too much to maintain, our seniors lack options to downsize within the community. Many have nowhere to relocate when they need an elevator without leaving their neighborhood or San Francisco entirely. So to solve this problem and provide more opportunities for housing for families and seniors, Let's increase building heights on corners to 65 feet. Think of it as anchors on residential blocks. We do not interrupt anything mid-block so the look remains consistent. Just on the corner, the ground floor anchor, uh, the ground floor of that anchor building can provide amenities for the entire neighborhood. Could be a corner store, a cafe, or a community space. And I like to point to Gus's Market at Noriega and 44th as a model for this. It's four stories on a corner next to a row of attached single family homes. And I never hear anyone in the Sunset complain about that building. So we can do more like Gus's Market on Sunset Corners and aim for up to six stories. The six story building, it's central to a concept called domicity short for domiciles in the city. It's five stories of housing above a cafe, grocery, senior center, or childcare that all residents in a neighborhood can benefit from. New residents would become the customers that sustain our neighborhood small businesses and merchants. It's a win-win. And I wanna be clear, this is for corner lots only. I do not want to replace all single family homes. My amendments won't force anyone to redevelop their home. West side areas like the Sunset will always be a majority of single family homes. All this does is create options, options that currently don't exist, options that families and seniors are asking for. If only 5% of Sunset homes were converted to six story residential buildings on corner lots, it would create 6,000 new housing units. That would help a lot of families and seniors. And the Sunset would still be 95% single family homes. So this is reasonable. Domicity will help the adult children and grandchildren of longtime residents stay in San Francisco, and it will give seniors more options. They can downsize to an elevator building without having to leave their neighborhood. And I can report that many Westside residents want this housing. The concept has been written about in the San Francisco Chronicle. I talk about it often at community meetings. I often feature it in my supervisor newsletter, which goes to 25,000 people. Residents write back to me asking for Domicity. I'm just gonna read three quick quotes. Denise said, I was born in San Francisco and lived all my 71 years in the outer sunset. I'm a retired teacher. I love your idea because I wanna sell my large house, downsize and live out my days without having to leave my beloved neighborhood. Lily said, I would love to downsize to one of those units. And Ron said, I own my home and the home on each side of mine is vacant. 
I would like to consider a sale to create a lot for Domicity. One neighbor has already expressed an interest. Now, some detractors have claimed that Domicity is not affordable because it's for families making 150 to 190,000 a year, but think about it. That's the combined salary of a school teacher and a first responder. That's the family who can no longer afford to live in San Francisco. This is exactly the kind of housing we need to focus on and build because many of our teachers and first responders live far away. We need to create the missing middle housing, and Domicity helps us do that. I want to acknowledge the efforts of my friend Eugene Liu. He's a retired architect. He spent years developing the Domicity concept. And Eugene, he's made presentations and talked about Domicity with established West Side neighborhood groups many, many times. And I've promoted Eugene's concept since 2015 when I first wrote about it in my column for the San Francisco Examiner. Domicity enhances the livability of established neighborhoods and promotes community throughout the West Side. So today, I'm here to present amendments to Chair Melger's Family Housing Opportunity Special Use District. Incorporating the Domicity concept has resulted in the legislation before you. Uh, with the added intent to keep seniors in place, I propose calling this the Family and Senior Housing Opportunity Special Use District. Uh, would you like me to read the amendments at this time? Or? I think that Ms. Flores went through them, right? Or did... Is that... So we're good? Um, I went through the um, amendments incorporated as a result of the Planning Commission um, modifications only. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yes. Okay. Um, this committee and others proposed substantive amendments in mid-2023 through fall 2023. Those amendments were incorporated into the Family and Senior Housing SUD and referred back to the Planning Commission and heard in October 2023. Those amendments are shown in green highlighted text. The amendments highlighted in blue text have not been heard by the committee. They were presented and discussed at the October 26, 2023 Planning Commission hearing and incorporated into the draft legislation post-commission hearing. So in sum, proposed amendments include minor clerical and remuneration uh, rem changes throughout, uh, but here are specific amendments. They include pages two and three, new proposed findings, page four, line 20, expanding SUD eligibility to RM1 zoning to south of Lincoln, west of 19th Avenue, and north of Sloat, Page five, line 14, specifying corner lot projects may not construct rear yard units. Line 23, language prevent the merger of lots that don't have contiguous street frontage. Page six, line one, expanding the eligibility of lot merger projects to RM1 and RH zoning within specific geographies bound by Lincoln, 19th Avenue, Slope Boulevard, and Great Highway. Page seven, line nine, language excluding mixed bedroom configuration requirements from proposed corner lot projects. Page eight, line 21, aligning ownership look back period to current criteria in the housing production ordinance. Page 10, line 22, aligning development application neighborhood meeting requirements to housing production ordinance. Page 11, line 12, allowing for corner lot projects to propose up to six units or one dwelling unit per 1,000 square foot of lot area. Line 19, allowing for greater density on corner lot projects that propose lot mergers. Page 12, line seven, specifying standards for the construction of rear yard units and access requirements. Page 13, line six, again, specifying safety standards for the construction of rear yard units. Bottom of page 13 and top of page 14, specifying additional criteria for corner lot sixplex projects, including additional heights, units count, and bedroom configurations. Page 17, line five, amending zoning map titles and explanation of ordinance formatting. 
No one special use district ADU program targeted subsidy or zoning amendment will provide the panacea to cure San Francisco's housing shortage, but my hope is that this legislation will be part of the solutions available to keep families, seniors, and communities together uh, and in San Francisco. So thank you. I, I ask the committee to adopt these amendments and continue this item to next week's Land Use and Transportation Committee meeting. Uh, thank you, uh, Supervisor Ingardio. Uh, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and thank you to both yourself and Supervisor Ingardio for bringing this forward. Um, just relative kind of two questions. One is in changing the title from family to family and senior, is there, or I don't see, are there any provisions for reserving housing for seniors or inclusion of deed restrictions for seniors or affordability requirements for seniors? No, no requirements. I just I thought in the spirit, because the intent of this is, um, you know, I think there'll be a huge a market for seniors who want to use this type of housing. Um, and the concept of domicity, because it would anchor corner lots and, you know, it's kind of spreckled or sprinkled throughout the sunset, um, it might attract a certain population. Like one domicity might be, uh, just attract younger families because the ground floor might have childcare. But another one four blocks away could be all for seniors because we could have senior care at the bottom level, right? So I just want that flexibility. But just in the spirit of that, I thought let's add the word seniors since it's, that's one of the main intents. And then just relative to what Ms. Flores said about the planning department recommendation on corner lots at 55, which presumably is five stories versus 65, which presumably is six. Any thoughts as to why you're not taking that recommendation? Yeah, I, well, the, the idea, that was, the original thought was the six stories, because like no, nothing will be built unless, you know, obviously it pencils out. And so I keep hearing that six is the magic number. We don't want to go any higher than that, of course, but um, some at the Planning Commission were concerned about, because uh, right now we're zoned for 40 feet as it is, uh, but not every single family home goes to 40 feet. So the differential between if it's 20 and 60 is high. Some that are at 40 and to 60 is not that bad. So that was the, the thought. Um, but I, I think since there won't be just whole scale change on every corner that um, I, I, I don't see it as that big of a problem, you know, and allowing for the 65 would provide for more opportunity for it to even happen, because at this point, not much is really happening. The only reason I ask, and this is definitely not my area of expertise, but I think you go from type four to type one construction when you go from five to six stories, and it gets a lot more expensive at six because you often go from stick construction to concrete construction and a whole bunch of fire life safety provisions kick in at six stories that are not at five. But I've forgotten more about this than I ever knew, but I, I think that's right. But I mean, whatever, if the market can produce it and bear it, Maybe. be it, but I think there's actually it's more expensive once you get to six stories in terms of infrastructural cost. Does Chair Melger have any thought on that? You're, expert, you're an expert in, in this. I, uh, yeah, I don't think it's six stories, but you know, um, I, I, uh, this was a recommendation of the Planning Commission. Mm -hmm. Okay, just curious. 
Yes, Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and, and uh, thank you, Supervisor Gardio, for your work on this and also um, your, your outreach and efforts to, to flesh out this con concept as this was moving through uh, Planning Commission. I just had a question, I think, for, uh, for planning, um, just really a request for clarification, and this is something we've, we've raised in, in some emails, and, but I, I think are still unclear, and that is just whether this ordinance um, and these amendments have any impact outside of the uh, the area of the SUD that's been discussed. Another, you know, I think I understand what you're trying to do in the area bounded by Lincoln Way um, and Sloat and and uh, and 19th and the Great Highway. I think I understand the impacts there. Uh, we just want to make sure I understand if the impacts of this ordinance are limited just to that area or if this would have any impacts outside that, uh, including my district. Um, thank you, Vice Chair Preston. Um, while this um, map comes up on the, um, on the projector, there were some um, SUD-wide changes for clarifications to the ordinance. Um, one of them was a clarification for the rear yard units and what was um, what could be included as part of the rear yard, and that was specifically um, egress stairs to be able to accommodate um, second means of egress. So that would be within the entire boundary that you see on the screen right now. Um, there was another clarification related to exposure to make it more similar to how we review um, and determine exposure for um, other units. And that included um, the allowances for um, decks, um, stairs, I don't have the whole list in front of me, forgive me, but there were some minor clarifications to that effect, um, SUD-wide. So as, as, if I could, because this was originally my legislation, um, so all of these were uh, clean up things that uh, we had identified because it's complicated, right? To mesh this with the existing uh, code and then everything that's coming for it. I think the only thing that uh, doesn't apply to the boundaries that you, you know you uh, mentioned was uh, the application of the you know corner lots to RM, uh, which is only within the, uh, you know what is District mm -hmm. Four, that's right. uh, and does not pertain to uh, your district or um, outside of the area in the SUD map. Correct. Yes, that's correct. Great. And one more thing. Also, the lot mergers, um, the SUD only allows for lot mergers within RH1 parcels. Um, within that, those bounds, it would also allow for lot mergers within RH2, RH3, and now RM1 as well with the new addition of that district. And sorry, that, so the last, so on the lot mergers, that would apply SUD-wide, not just in That the, would apply only within the bounds 19th Great Highway, et cetera. Okay. Thank you very much, and thank you, Chair Melgar, for, for clarifying. Okay. I, 
I just had one last question. Um, is there anything in the amendments as presented that needs to go back to the Planning Commission? Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, no, there are no amendments that require referral back, but they are substantive, so will require a continuance. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, if there's no other uh, questions or comments, let's go to public comment on this item, please. Thank you. If you've come to the chamber today to give public comment on agenda item number three, please come forward to the lectern at this time, and if you are waiting for the opportunity to speak, please line up to speak along the western wall of this room. And if you're ready, please begin. I'll just be brief. Uh, number one, there was a major six-story complex building built on 47th and Sloat, and to, last time I checked, there's no, there's, there's no, uh, very few people live, live in that building, uh, if any. Uh, secondly, uh, there are no stores or anything there. So I wonder what can be done to encourage people to use an already existing large six-story building. Secondly, if you're going to build buildings on the corner, you need to understand that it's gonna have a multiplier effect on the community. So you need to have parking, you need to have infrastructure, uh, otherwise, these new residents are going to take up the parking of the other people already living there. Uh, so th those are just two considerations that I, th I think needs to be addressed. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? It is obvious to me that no one even on this panel fully understands what's going on with this proposition or whatever you want to call it. So how can you actually pass it when nobody understands what it exactly means? I've lived in the Sunset since 1988, and we do not need more housing. The problem is, is that the infrastructure in the Sunset sucks. The buses are lousy, Muni's lousy, speed bumps hurt senior citizens when they go over the speed bumps. Stealing parking from um, people for rent-a-bikes and for car shares hurts the people in the Sunset. Building more housing only makes it worse on corners because, as we all know, the city of San Francisco hates cars, so there will probably not be enough parking within these six-story or corner buildings with like eight units or however many units to accommodate them. And putting backyard units in destroys the peace and quiet of everybody on the entire block. I've already had to call the police more than one time about renters having parties in their backyards till like two in the morning. And somebody who's living in a backyard unit can just do as what they like and dis disturb the entire unit, entire um, block, because the sound travels. When people have fireplaces and have fires, I can smell it inside my house. It is absolutely insane to like try to pass something that nobody even understands. And I'd say that 99.9% .9 of the people in the sunset don't even know exists because this is being done in as much secrecy as possible, like all the other things that happen here. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Supervisors. Corey Smith on behalf of the Housing Action Coalition. Thank you, Supervising Guardio and Supervisor Melgar, for really leading this conversation uh, in your districts. Um, I've been meeting with the aforementioned Eugene Liu weekly for a lot of months now, uh, and he's got family in town is the reason that, that he wasn't able to join. Um, a, a couple of things I really just want to emphasize on this. 
we talk about these RENA numbers at a high level very conceptually, and everybody absolutely agrees that there is nothing for this 80 to 120% of area median income. We just don't have a solution on the table, and that's exactly what this is. We're building out the pro formas, we're building out the designs, we're engaging with development partners specifically so we can have the 80 to 120% home ownership units. These are designed to be home ownership, rented through MOHCD, but we don't want any of Dan's money either. We want zero public dollars to actually build this. The goal is for this to be privately financed, deed-restricted, middle-income housing. Um, and this amendment is about feasibility. Uh, as President Peskin alluded to earlier, um, there, there are questions about that building height, and six is still, we can pretty much consistently go wood frame with concrete underneath. You can get to eight, where you have what we call three or five over three, where it's five stories of wood over three stories of concrete, and that's still relatively inexpensive compared to going above eight. At that point, it's steel. It's much more expensive uh, and, and, frankly, really cost prohibitive. As the supervisor mentioned, this is already housing that's in the neighborhood. The, these types of buildings already exist in the community. It's been designed to try to fit in the idea of, uh, for the six-story typology, going to have the top two floors set back to try to make sure it does really incorporate uh, within the fabric. Um, we dropped details off to every supervisor office last year, uh, a booklet for, for your review, and, and frankly, we're we're hopefully coming to a pretty significant point. Like I said, we've got a development partner locked in, Habitat for Humanity on this, um, and we're looking for funding options and hope we can make this real soon. Thank you. Speaker's time has concluded. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Committee. Jane Natoli here on behalf of SFMB. Uh, I want to thank you for your work on this today, especially Supervisors uh, Ingardio and Melgar. Certainly, I heard about it before. Supervisor Ingardio was a supervisor. I've been hearing about this. I know you've been working on this a long time. I think that this is a creative way of looking at trying to address the housing shortage. Uh, as a resident of the West Side, seeing the kinds of homes that we need, the topologies that we're missing, uh, especially you know when I hear Supervisor Ingardio talk about um, places where people you know can have access to an elevator, they can have access to the kinds of buildings that meet their needs. I live in an older apartment building on the West Side. It doesn't have those things, and so it's nice to think about a creative way of trying to get there. Uh, this has been a good journey, and I appreciate all the work that's gone into it, and I look forward to, to it, you know, continuing. Uh, I, I think as as Corey just said before me, we're finally kind of about to turn the corner, and it seems like this is actually, um, you know, despite being a long time coming, a possibility that's coming soon. And that's really exciting to see. So I, I appreciate the continued work, and, and I know there's still a little bit more to go, but thank you and keep it up. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? You can leave it there. I'll start your time. Good afternoon, supervisors. Um, the city creates a lot of its own problems. Case in point, the rent control situation actually exacerbates the problem. We complain that the rents are too high. Well, when a lot of people are paying little of nothing for their rent, everybody else has to subsidize them. Most of the neighbors that I have that moved into the sunset in the last 15 years my taxes are now at 17000 The 1% increase is going to increase my, my taxes up to 34000 by the time I'm my dad's age. I don't know how I'm going to pay that. I don't know how most of my neighbors will be able to pay that. 
So what the city needs to do, if you really care about elderly people staying in their houses and not getting pushed out of the city for other people to be able to move in and take over their places, look at things like amending the Constitution to say, look, keep Prop 13, just as it is. But anybody, once they turn 65, if they're paying over $10,000 in taxes, which most people won't be able to pay that and maintain their life at all, if they're living uh, basically off of Social Security or a few other things, they're going to get pushed out of their houses. Literally 20 or 30% of the neighborhood I live in is going to get pushed out. And these ideas are great, but really, I think I'm the only one on my block using my in-law unit and renting it out. And I'm doing that because I need to to stay there. All of my neighbors are afraid to do it because if somebody gets in and they don't want to move out, if I had to move somewhere and have to sell my house... That renter can say, no, I want $50,000, $100,000. I've even heard up to $400,000. So that makes it so the owner can't even sell their own house. If somebody gives three months, six months notice, the rent I charge is probably 30% less than any other in the city for the same type of unit, one bedroom. Those units out there, there's thousands of them already built. We don't need to build more. Just free people up so they can rent their units out. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Jessica Paula. I'm a local real estate agent here in the city, and I support this so that we could build more units on the west side so that more people could live there. It's a very desirable place for families and individuals that want to move to the city or move from the east side to the west side. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have any? Uh, sorry, next speaker, please. Hi, Annie Freiman with Spur here. I'll just give a really brief comment thanking uh, Supervisor Engardio and Melgar for your work on this. I think it's really important in all the housing work that we're doing over the next couple years to really normalize um, multifamily on the west side, uh, particularly for folks who are scared of it or fearful or sort of uncertain about how it's going to impact the feeling of their neighborhood. And so just really commend you all for your work on this, bringing more renters and also um, having it that people can stay in their neighborhoods through different phases of their life. So thank you for your work, and uh, I urge support today. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Eileen Boken with Speak, in support of continuing this item. Also due to the fact that the newest feasibility study for the rezoning process has yet to be released. Uh, the department staff initially stated last November that this feasible, <clears throat> excuse me, feasibility study will be released before the end of 2023 with an informational hearing at the Planning Commission in December of 2023. Uh, the upcoming feasibility study uh, for the rezoning process could provide information that would be pertinent to the typology of the 65-foot corner lots being proposed in this duplicated file. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, uh, supervisors, Catherine Howard, and I'm so waiting for my stipend for taking Muni down here instead of being able to call in. But anyway, I didn't plan to speak on this, but it was kind of interesting, and I appreciate uh, the supervisor's efforts to have housing for seniors, but I want to say that naming something is not the same thing as it happening. And I, I don't want to be derogatory, but we have greenwashing, and now do we have age washing. Um, please, if you want to make it for seniors, put a requirement in there that at least one unit has to be either affordable or for seniors. 
And, it, and if they're going to have big buildings, at least make sure it's useful and it's not filled up with a whole bunch of folks who just arrived here hoping to make their first billion dollars. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi. Um, you might want to take a closer look at that map because the blue line in the key shows most of the city part of that SUD. Words say one thing, but the map shows another thing. So before you vote, be really clear what you're voting for because that map, that SUD blue line goes most of the city and most of your territories. So um, be sure of that. The other thing is, I think this is kind of a marketing problem. Um, and it seems like our supervisors are now in the business of marketing because some of these problems don't exist. I live in the Sunset, lived in there many years. And I have a 100-year-old neighbor. She's in her house. She doesn't want to go anywhere. And if she did, she probably couldn't afford any of those houses that you want to build or apartment buildings you want to build. And I have an 80-year-old neighbor down the street. She's staying in her house as well. And what's keeping them in their house is not, you know, anything except for their will and that they can afford their houses. But they would not be able to afford what you're trying to build. And I think this is a false problem with a crazy solution. And who benefits? The developers. Absolutely the developers. If the people benefited, they'd be lining up at the door, and they're not here lining up at the door. So think about and know what you're voting on. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone further who has public comment on agenda item number three? Madam Chair. Uh, President Peskin. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you to the members of the public who came here to testify for and against. Um, I did hear, this is apropos of my earlier question, one of the speakers, Mr. Corey Smith from the Housing Action Coalition, who I think said that he is under the impression, but I don't see it in this legislation, and Supervisor Engardio and I talked about this, that there is some form of deed restriction for affordability for seniors. Did I not hear him say that? Did you want to... Um Say something. Uh, well, let, uh, let's ask uh, Supervisor Engardio, since he's the one who drafted these amendments. I don't recall uh, Mr. Smith saying something about deed restricted for seniors. He talked about the uh, uh, the question we had earlier about uh, wood framing for five or six stories. I, that's what I recall him talking about. Okay, I, you know, since this is not a conversation with uh, Mr. Smith, I just, it, it is not part of your legislation. Right, that's right. Um, I just, before like, we confuse things further, uh, I just wanted to make sure that we all understood that's not what's being added in the amendments. We're also not voting on this today because all of these are substantive, so it needs to be continued until everybody has uh, a chance to look at the map and look at the language and make sure uh, that what we're voting on is what we intend to vote. Anything else, President Peskin? No, the rent's too damn low. <laughs> okay, um, so I would like to uh, make a motion that we incorporate uh, the amendments uh, as, uh, in, as read into the record um, and that we continue this item until next week. January 12th, 
on the motion offered by the chair that the ordinance be amended and then continued as amended to the, excuse me, did I say January 12th? I meant to say February 12th <laughs> to the February 12th, 2024 land use meeting. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. That motion passes. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor and Guardio. Um, so we have a lot of folks here uh, for items uh, four and two. Uh, in, uh, at the request of President Peskin, I'm going to take uh, item four next. Okay. Agenda item number four is a resolution opposing California State Senate Bill number 951 and setting forth the city and county of San Francisco's support for the California Coastal Act and the recognition of the value of the California Coastal Commission to enforce the California Coastal Act. This item is agendized as a committee report and may be sent to tomorrow's board meeting. Thank you uh, very much. Uh, President Peskin, the floor is yours. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you, uh, Supervisor Preston, particularly for uh, being one of the six named co-sponsors on this item. Um, as both of you, I'm sure, are aware, uh, I had the honor and pleasure and pain, because it was a ton of work, of serving on the Coastal Commission for a number of years, um, and intimately got to know just how important uh, this piece of policy, statewide policy, that was uh, passed by the voters in a monumental fight that pitted uh, Californians of every stripe against the real estate industry in 1972 when Proposition 20 uh, passed against all odds. It was uh, the, the grassroots effort was outspent by uh, many multipliers to one. Um, every major newspaper in the state of California was on the side of the real estate industry and Proposition 20, the Coastal Zone uh, Initiative of 1972, passed, um, and that led to the creation of the California Coastal Commission uh, to protect uh, the California coast, 840 miles of it from the border of Mexico to the border of the state of Oregon for access for all Californians and people around the world. And it has uh, really been a Coastal Zone Management Act that has become the envy of uh, coastal governments, not only in the United States of America, but around the world. Um, in 1976, uh, the California State Legislature enacted it into law and made it permanent uh, with the California Coastal Act of 1976. Uh, so this has been on the books, first passed by the voters, then ensconced into law by the California State Legislature, signed into law by uh, then-Governor Jerry Brown uh, for over a half a century, for 52 years. Um, in 1976, the State Legislature set the coastal zone boundaries uh, in the 15 California coastal counties, and those have not changed in the intervening half century. Uh, there have been a handful of extremely minor boundary adjustments that have made, been made by the legislature uh, for technical reasons, uh, such as when a city has been incorporated uh, to deal with a handful of parcels that were either 
that, that were in split jurisdictions, i.e. they were partially in and partially out of the coastal zone. Uh, but uh, Senate Bill 951 introduced by our own state senator is the first time that there has been a proposal to remove swaths of uh, land under the coastal zone um, in the entire history of the act. Uh, I frankly was um, shocked and dismayed uh, not to have been consulted, nor was uh, Supervisor Mandelman, who to this day uh, is an alternate uh, commissioner on the California Coastal Commission, uh, and was even more surprised to see that uh, the sponsor of the bill, as set forth in Senator Weiner's press release, was the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, this is the policy body of the city and county of San Francisco. We were never consulted. We did not act on it. Um, subsequently, Senator Weiner, with little fanfare, uh, corrected that to say that the mayor was the sponsor and not the city and county. Um, uh, this has been done under uh, the guise of, uh, of housing, and nothing could be further from the truth, truth, and I state this just as a matter of objective fact. Uh, the way the California Coastal Act works is that uh, once a coastal zoning is approved by the Coastal Commission, which in San Francisco's case happened in 1986, all permitting jurisdiction is turned over to the county. This county has issued its own coastal development permits since 1986. Uh, in that period of time, now getting on to 40 uh, years, 45 years, um, there have been two appeals of the issuance of a coastal development permit to the Coastal Commission from a local action. Uh, one of them having nothing to do with housing, it was actually an appeal in 2009 over artificial turf soccer fields in the western end of Golden Gate Park with light standards that was anathema to the neighborhood. Uh, regardless of what people thought at the time or which side of that issue you were on, if you were on any side of that issue, the Coastal Commission decided in favor of the city and county of San Francisco and rejected that appeal. Uh, the other appeal came from the late 1980s. It was never heard by the Coastal Commission and the uh, permit was uh, upheld. Uh, the point here being uh, there have been no fights between the city and county of San Francisco and the California Coastal Commission uh, in that time. Uh, the California Coastal Commission in recent years has evolved into the preeminent agency on dealing with sea level rise, coastal erosion, and the imperative that we all face uh, in the change of changing climate. Um, and to that end, uh, and I'm very proud of this work, and I'm proud of the city and county of San Francisco uh, in a combined effort with SPUR uh, and our planning department after a number of years uh, with the great help of then uh, District 4 Supervisor Katie Tang, uh, the city and county uh, for the first and only time amended our local coastal plan originally approved in 1986. I actually served on the Coastal Commission at that time in 2018, uh, adopted an amendment to the lo local coastal plan to adopt the Ocean Beach Master Plan. Um, this is an area where pursuant to that plan, which we adopted here at the Board of Supervisors before it was certified by the Coastal Commission, uh, where the city and county of San Francisco is 
in certain places going to have to retreat from the coastline. Uh, this is the area where our San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, in close collaboration, uh, in a very meaningful way, have been dealing with the future of our ocean, ocean side uh, sewage disposal plant, which is also going to have to retreat, uh, which the Coastal Commission has already heard and uh, concurred with and helped facilitate uh, the actions of the PUC uh, that are part of its capital plan. Um, the idea of taking all of this land out of Coastal Commission uh, jurisdiction uh, makes no sense. It is not supported uh, by what Senator Weiner is claiming, which is that the Coastal Commission is getting in the way. Um, I want to uh, thank uh, the organizations that immediately sounded the alarm uh, because this is, goes far beyond San Francisco. If one state senator can rip out Coastal Commission jurisdiction in his or her uh, county, uh, it's going to be open season on the Coastal Act. The precedent here is remarkably dangerous about one of California's model-cherished pieces of law. And so I want to thank the Surfrider Foundation uh, I want to thank Azul, I want to thank the California Coastal Protection Network uh, for uh, ringing the alarm. Um, and y yesterday as I was preparing for this meeting, I actually uh, saw what Surfrider had uh, published on, the, uh, on their website, and, and it's, it's worth reading. Um, it says, Surfrider... San Francisco objects to this attack on the Coastal Act because it is a bedrock environmental law that plays a critical role in protecting the coastal environment, ensuring public access to the coast, and helping the state and local communities prepare for accelerating sea level rise. Senator Weiner claimed in a press release that the intention of the bill is to allow the city of San Francisco to streamline affordable housing development, yet data shows that Coastal Commission oversight is not an impediment to housing development. The Coastal Commission approves 95.5% of coastal development permit applications across the state. Only two appeals of local decision-making in San Francisco have ever been considered by the Coastal Commission, and I spoke to that. In other words, Senate Bill 951 assumes that affordable housing shortage in San Francisco is affected by the Coastal Commission's implementation of the Coastal Act, which is simply not the case. The bill's proposed boundary change removes portions of the Great Highway that are underlain by wastewater infrastructure north of Sloat, portions of Sloat where a controversial 50-story tower was proposed last year um, from the coastal zone. While Surfrider San Francisco does not have a position on any of these projects, we support environmental review. Instead, Senate Bill 951's thinly-veiled effort to claw back environmental protections in California. We support statewide policy approaches that will achieve real increases in affordable housing in California's coastal zone. And, the, and, and let me just say a little bit about that. For the first five years of the Coastal Commission's um, tenure, one of its mandates was to build affordable housing in the coastal zone. And in that first five years, until State Senator Henry Mello, at the behest of the California real estate industry, took that language out, the commission built over 5,000, permitted over 5,000 units of affordable housing 
in the California Coastal Zone. If the state legislature and our own Senator Scott Weiner want to help build affordable housing in the Coastal Zone, they can put that language back in the Act. I would welcome that. I think we should actually do another resolution encouraging that. But taking a, uh, an axe to the Coastal Commission jurisdiction is not the way to go about it. Um, I'm really worried that Sacramento is increasingly becoming uh, a, uh, is being ruled by special interest groups, um, including those who would like to undo the California Coastal Act. Uh, and I think it is time for it to come to an end. Uh, I do want to offer, um, in the spirit of uh, trying to work with Senator Weiner, uh, because there is one provision in the bill that actually, albeit an unfunded mandate, uh, makes sense, which is there is in the first part of the bill language about uh, local coastal plans being updated up and down the state of California. I think that language does make sense, particularly if it's accompanied with money. And the reason I say the money part is the California Coastal Commission actually gave the San Francisco Planning Department a sizable multi-hundreds of thousands of dollars grant in order to do the work around uh, the Ocean Beach Master Plan. Uh, that did not come out of our general fund. That came out of uh, a subvention from the California Coastal Commission. So I think if that uh, that part of the legislation does make sense, but the provisions that uh, alter, reduce, eliminate the <coughs> excuse me, existing geographic and appellate authority of the commission do not. So to that end, uh, and colleagues, I have sent this to you, I would like to amend the short title to say opposing SB 951 unless amended, and in the long title, say, resolution opposing Senate Bill 951, unless amended, and in the resolved, say, resolve that the Board of Supervisors of the City and County of San Francisco oppose Senate Bill 951, insert, unless amended, to maintain the California Coastal Commission's existing geographic and appellate authority. Um, those would be the uh, amendments that I would like to offer. Uh, I want to thank and acknowledge the uh, already listed co-sponsors of this, Supervisors Preston Chan, Walton, Ronan, and Mandelman. And I want to thank members of the community uh, who, without any encouragement from this supervisor, uh, have been contacting us with emails in droves. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you, President Peskin. Um, so I uh, thank you for the amendments that you have uh, presented. Um, I... Uh, did call Senator Weiner last week to understand where this was uh, coming from and where this was going. Um, he told me that there are ongoing negotiations right now uh, between our planning department and his office and the Coastal Commission um, that are, have not finished. Um, and I am actually reluctant to have an opinion on this resolution until those things are, um, you know, seen to, to fruition. And even, you know, if you, if uh, your amendments uh, you know, to the resolve clause said Senate Bill 951, unless amended, I would support it. <laughs> but I think uh, for me to add, you know, to maintain the California Coastal Commission's existing geographic appellant and appellate authority um, is a, a, a flexibility that I think 
I want to give them in the negotiations. And that is because uh, this does affect you know, my district. So in the boundary, I'm not sure that the, the boundaries that uh, Senator Weiner has proposed uh, work for me better than what's there. Uh, I will just say that the existing boundaries include uh, the southern part of Brotherhood Way, uh, which uh, has uh, the um, Greek Orthodox Church and part of the Armenian uh, uh, lot. Um, all of those uh, institutions uh, on Brotherhood Way have enormous parking lots. Uh, many of them uh, have uh, dwindling uh, congregations. In the Greek Orthodox Church, there is a little preschool that um, they would like to expand. At least the tenants would like to have the possibility of expanding. Um, it would be great to have housing there. I don't know if this will make any difference, but it does affect my district. The other thing that uh, the existing boundary includes um, and is left alone by Senator Wiener's amendments, of course, is the Olympic Golf Club, which has a hotel and a banquet facility. Um, and, you know, again, I, it doesn't make sense to me why that's included, but, you know, this is above my pay grade. And a big chunk of the San Francisco uh, Golf Club which is actually in Daly City, but uh, many of the holes are within the jurisdiction of San Francisco, uh, which is up the hill from uh, Brotherhood Way, uh, from the lake, uh, and not near the coast. But um, like I said, I'm not ready to uh, support this uh, resolution today. Uh, after, if they don't come to conclusions, I might think differently, but um, that is, uh, you know, how I'm seeing it affect District 7 and the plans that we're still trying to make for development of all that land. Um, and if I just yes, President may, Peskin. Uh, Chair Melgar, and certainly respect your right to uh, vote however you choose now and in the future, uh, two things. Thing number one is actually, uh, as a matter of fact, um, I convened last week uh, not Senator Weiner, a meeting between our planning director, Rich Hillis, and his counterpart, Dan Carl, uh, who is the Coastal Commission's head of their North Central region that we lie in, which was a remarkably productive conversation uh, that could have happened. Well, let me just start with this. The San Francisco Planning Department used to have a coastal planner who retired a couple of years ago uh, and nobody at the planning department knows anything about the Coastal Act, the local coastal plan, um, and in the absence of that, uh, Mr. Hillis has been, you know, respectfully flying blind. Uh, when I put the two of them together, they had a fantastic conversation, and I have every belief uh, that this will be resolved, and it will be resolved through the process that has existed for a half a century. Um, had Senator Weiner picked up the phone and called uh, this former member of the Coastal Commission who works well with his planning department and his former Coastal Commission, uh, we would have resolved this you know, quite easily. This will be resolved uh, in a matter of a few months. Long, by, by the way, I mean, if Senator Weiner's bill is going to be heard, it's going to be heard long before uh, Mr. Hillis and Mr. Carl figure out the right words on a local coastal plan amendment. But all of that notwithstanding, um, I will say this about the boundary adjustments as proposed uh, by Senator Weiner, which is that the vast majority 
of property that is being taken out of the coastal zone is in District 1 and District 4 and the west end of Golden Gate Park. Uh, and around Brotherhood Way is virtually identical to the existing Coastal Commission boundaries. But let me say this about that, and I can say it with firsthand experience, which is being in the coastal zone does not prevent development uh, at all. As a matter of fact, there are thousands and thousands of coastal development permits for all sorts of things, uncontroversial, controversial, that are issued uh, in the 840 miles of coastline from Oregon to Mexico's border uh, every year. So being in the coastal zone, whether you're a parking lot, whether you're a school, uh, does not in any way uh, inhibit development. As a matter of fact, that is the underlying argument that I am making here, uh, which is this is a solution looking for a problem. Um, but I respect however you choose to vote in this matter. And thank you, President Peskin, for uh, convening that meeting and making the effort. Um, with that, uh, if there's no other comments or questions, let's go to public comment on this item, please, Mr. Clerk. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have come to the chamber today to give public comment on agenda item number four, please line up to speak along that western wall of the room and come forward to lectern when it is your turn. And if we can get that first speaker now, please begin. Am I on? I'll try to get it all in in two minutes. Um, First of all, the population of uh, uh, bicyclists and pedestrians on the Great Highway during the weekend has diminished since uh, the somewhat end of our pandemic. Furthermore, people seem to forget that there are two existing paths on either side of this four-lane highway that could accommodate bicyclists and pedestrians. I've ridden my bicycle in the city. I have nothing against people riding their bike. But I think it's, it doesn't make sense to close it to four-lane highway on weekends and holidays when it is used particularly by tourists, which is a major generator of revenue for the city of San Francisco. Uh, we have small businesses. We have the uh, beach, the beach uh, chalet. And now we're going to have the opening of the new cliff house under a new name. Uh, the uh, Sutro Land End Partners are going to sign a 20-year lease. This is one of the most popular restaurants in the country. Uh, not only that, but we have the historic Sutro Baths. People flock to the Cliff House and they, and they flock to the beach. I hope the commission is allowed to do their job. There are two other issues here. Number one uh, is economic and quality of life. I've touched on the economic issue. The quality of life issue is that there are people that access this road who work on weekends, who uh, uh, run errands, who go to the doctor's appointments to support their families. There's no reason why uh, the highway should be closed. Do I have another minute or am I done? 30 seconds. Okay. So um, there, are, there are people that bought their homes uh, who enjoy the highway, who enjoy what, that, uh, what the district offers, and yet we're infringing on their quality of life now to the expense of allowing uh, 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 pedestrians and uh, um, bicyclists use the great highway. They pay their taxes like anyone else. So why is it fair Thank for that for quality sharing. of life to be diminished Thank you for as a result of that action? Thank you. Speaker's time has concluded. Just a reminder to upcoming speakers, the agenda item before the committee right now is a resolution opposing California State Senate Bill number 951. Next speaker, please. This resolution opposing SB 951 says exactly what the Board of Supervisors must say. 
State Senator Wiener's attempt to eliminate the California Coastal Commission's jurisdiction in urban San Francisco, which means the Sunset and Richmond districts, is outrageous. It's undoubtedly the first step towards gutting the, the Coastal Commission's authority. Planning department officials have made improper public statements supporting SB 951. The San Francisco Chronicle on January 25th quoted Dan Sider, chief of staff of planning, as saying SB 951 gets rid of a bunch of extra bureaucracy that's not doing anyone any good. You can make this improper accusation about any law protecting the public, whether it's the Federal Americans with Disabilities Act or the California Consumer Privacy Act. Since the legislature passed the Coastal Act in 1976, the California Coastal Commission has diligently protected coastal resources and access and has put into place a model that is respected globally. There are many places around the world where coastal access is for the wealthy, and luxury hotels and luxury apartment buildings block nature. In the U.S., look at Waikiki, look at Miami Beach, look at the Jersey Shore. That's not who we are in San Francisco. As the resolution points out, the basis of SB 951 is a false narrative related to housing. It would seem that 951 is crafted to begin turning Ocean Beach into Miami Beach. As San Franciscans, we must prevent this from happening. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, good afternoon. Laura Walsh with the Surfrider Foundation. I want to thank Supervisor Peskin for his comments. Surfrider is a coastal access and protection organization, and I live in the Outer Sunset and work with the San Francisco chapter a lot, so I'm representing them. We are urging you to oppose this bill unless amended or support the resolution because of the portion of the bill that involves the boundary changes that we've been talking about. Um, this just isn't sensible policy because it assumes that the Coastal Act and the Coastal Commission implementing the Coastal Act are an impediment to affordable housing in San Francisco, and that's absolutely not the case. Two appeals of coastal development permits have ever been brought to the Coastal Commission, and in both cases, the Commission ruled with the County of San Francisco. At the same time, it's an important backstop for review to have because the Coastal Commission makes sure that our coastline remains public and that we're citing development safely for sea level rise. So that's not a level of review we want to get rid of in California or in San Francisco specifically. Um, in short, the boundary change takes away the Coastal Commission's ability to implement the Coastal Act. Coastal, coastal zone boundaries, which dictate the coastal, um, the area that gets reviewed for the Coastal Act um, consistency, those boundaries haven't been changed in California in 50 years of Coastal Act existence. So this is terrible precedent statewide. Um, this is an environmental law that has kept our coastline in California for the public, safely sited in light of sea level rise. It's not something we want to be tweaking boundaries around or eliminating boundaries around. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. Jake Price with the Housing Action Coalition. Um, asking this body to oppose uh, the resolution before you. Uh, while it is true that there are not uh, appeals uh, to projects in the coastal zone, I think about the state laws that are unable to be used in the coastal zone, specifically SB 35 and the state density bonus, two of the laws that have seen uh, 
great success with the production of affordable housing. I think about the uh, Ocean Beach Safeway on La Playa. Uh, why should that parcel not be able to benefit from these laws that have seen great production of affordable housing? And then as Supervisor Melgar pointed out, um, there are multiple congregations uh, in this uh, geography that could stand to benefit from SB4, the Yes and God's Backyard Bill, to produce 100% affordable housing. And without SB 951, they would not be able to benefit. So um, I, I know that there's a lot of nuance within this uh, state bill and this resolution and appreciate further conversation, um, but I do believe it is good policy at the end of the day. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Jay Mantoli again with SFMB. Uh, also registering our opposition to this as it is currently written. Uh, a lot of discussion about the boundaries of this. The vast majority of the boundaries remain unchanged and it does open up opportunities on places as Jake mentioned before me. Uh, when we look at that Safeway at La Playa which has a vastly underutilized parking lot and one of the best ways to ensure coastal access is to ensure that people can live near the coast. That is also an opportunity so that people can actually enjoy the beautiful resource that we all have as San Franciscans that's not that far away. I also just want to say that, you know, I, I don't think the boundaries uh, of anything are probably going to be set in stone forever. We are living in a different time with different needs and different considerations. I do think looking at something that leaves 95% of the previous boundaries untouched while trying to creatively address what we do in the 5% that already have development on them, frankly. There are already homes and businesses and roads and parking lots. I think that's the kind of creative approach we need. 50 years ago, we were facing different challenges and we need to update for our times. We need to think about things differently. That's what the spirit of this is. So once again, asking you to oppose this, thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Matt Saganek. I'm a long-term uh, Outer Sunset resident. I am here to support uh, Supervisor Peskin's uh, opposition to Senator Weiner's bill. Uh, he spoke eloquently on the history of the bill and its success over many years. Uh, and in two points, I would say that weakening the bill to serve a local purpose, uh, which has ramifications that are not quite understood, uh, stands to harm the state of California as a whole. It sets a horrible precedent. Uh, there are reviews and processes which need to take place. Uh, and what has happened in the west side of San Francisco since the pandemic, and really slightly before it, is the city has uh, taken advantage in, in many ways of the west side and the people there uh, are tired of the city's processes being circumvented. Uh, we need process and review of these measures and changes that are taking place, including the Great Highway, uh, including the tower on Sloat. Uh, all of these developments need the normal standard process and review. As Supervisor Engardia, I'm sorry, yeah, Supervisor Engardia, who not here, he uh, fostered a robust discussion on the changes to the planning code. That's the kind of changes we need to see modified with the people of San Francisco, not one pushed through at the state level, weakening a bill that will hurt all of California. Thank you.
You still have 30 seconds? Okay. I'm good. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Yes, I also oppose this, what is it, 7951. I, I support board member Peskin's resolution. I also am an Outer Sunset resident. I have lived there since 1978. And I, I think it's appalling what's happening to the coast. Our only coastal highway in San Francisco is being destroyed on this closure on the weekends. The people are climbing over the ice pilots, destroying gonna, the just, coast. Just one moment. I'm going to pause your time. You've got a minute and 33 seconds. I'm going to just yes. make sure that we're super clear about what is being heard by the community. I am talking about the, the coast. Great highway closure. Very I'm good. talking about the Coastal Commission protection of our coast line. And one of the things that they need to do, which they didn't do, is a resolution to close the uh, highway on weekends and Fridays, and it has wreaked havoc in our, our neighborhood since then. We have traffic jams in the park. Uh, we have more and more traffic on our, our residential streets because of the closure of that highway. And it's part of the Coastal Highways Commission's uh, jurisdiction, and it should never have been closed. And it was never voted on, and, we, and they always said, oh, after the COVID, it'll be open again. Well, it wasn't, anyway. That's all I have to say. I support you, <laughs> Supervisor Peskin, and your resolution. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. Um, I'm Jean Barish, a Richmond District resident and Secretary of Planning of the Association for the Richmond. Today I'm speaking on my own behalf. It's not often that I get a chance to make a public comment to say thank you. But today, I want to thank you for introducing this resolution, which I wholeheartedly support. As I said in the letter I sent to your committee, Senator, Wiener, Senator Wiener's SB 591 is merely another ploy to allow greedy developers to sink their teeth into some of the most valuable and beautiful land in San Francisco. There's no need for housing in this area, and it should not be allowed. And so, I thank you for recognizing that Senators, Senator Wiener's legislation will eliminate the ability of the Coastal Commission to regulate land use and development along San Francisco's priceless and world-famous shoreline. Thank you, too, for a resolution that, conf that confirms the city's concern about the environmental impact of coastal development, that values the importance of the Coastal Commission, and that wants to protect the future of all of California's coastline. I'm pleased to support this resolution that will send a message to Sacramento that one of the most beautiful areas in San Francisco must be protected and that SB 951 must be defeated. I urge the, your committee to unanimously approve this resolution as amended. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Supervisors, uh, Mike Nor, I live out in the outer sunset. Um, I think part of the confusion is if you ask 99% of the people in the city, what is this? They don't even know what it is. I'll bet there's some politicians I could ask, what is this we're voting on? Do you actually understand what you're voting on? Probably not. In a meeting I had with Wiener recently, I spoke to him and I said, why are we calling it affordable housing? There's nothing affordable about it. Unless you're the lucky person that wins the lotto and gets a $1.2 million condo to spend the rest of your life in, for the rest of it's not. 
The 82,000 units at 1.2 million, which is what the self-help uh, elderly program and TNDC and others have said, that amount times 82,000 units is $100 billion. We would have to shut down the entire city for seven years and just divert all the money to building those units. So there's nothing affordable about it. And now hearing that maybe there's a possibility of losing a, another Safeway. I mean, I used to live by the one. I lived on the block of the one on we Fillmore and Webster. That's going to make a food desert for most of the people that live in that community that are poor. They're going to have to go, well, they're going to have to go all the way down to the marina, and now I hear the marina one might get taken out with building a housing there. And don't just say, like Obama, he said, you're going to get to keep your physician. That was his hope. That was his dream. That's probably what Breed would like. That doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. All of a sudden, people could have to go miles on a bus to get their groceries. So I think people need to really think, what is affordable housing? And since 1950, our population has only grown by about 60,000 people. Yet we've doubled our housing allowance by 200 to 400,000 units. We don't have a housing unit issue. Affordable housing, yes, but there are plenty of houses out there. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we get the next commenter on agenda item number four related to opposing California State Senate Bill number 951? Please begin. Hi, I strongly support this resolution and so should every supervisor. Supervisors, you make a lot of types of laws over the months and years that you serve on the Board of Supervisors, but protecting San Francisco's coastline and the state of California's coastline from billionaire, millionaire developers is the most important and the most long-lasting role you will ever have as uh, your time on, on the Board of Supervisors. Uh, so I'm asking you, please don't be misled by people who are developers or work for developers or get paid by developers or take campaign contributions from developers. You really need to look at what this uh, Coast, Coastal Commission does. It protects all of us and it, has, it allows us access that without it, none of us may have. And this, and this is your time to stand up to the outside interests and stand with the people of San Francisco and the people of California to protect our coastline and not um, get rid of our coastal commission. For generations, we've kept our coastline pristine and weakening the coastline and opening it up to development would be awful. And just keep in mind, we wouldn't do that to the Grand Canyon or Yosemite National Park, and we shouldn't do it to San Francisco's treasure, which is our coastline. And every one of you should vote and support President Paskin's resolution. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi. I fully support this resolution. I am the person that embarrassed the San Francisco Zoo about their strobe lights along above the um, ocean during Christmas for a few years. That went on for weeks and weeks. It was definitely disturbing what was out, the, 
little bit of wildlife that still exists there. The California Coastal Commission protects the wildlife and helps stop the erosion. The more digging and building and cement poured and foundations will totally vibrate into that area if the Coastal Commission is abolished. It is really important that we have access for all, and that means parking, public transportation, and access. Not walking through gated communities where condos are $2.2 million because that's what they're gonna cost, because the cost of building is really high. These are not gonna be low-income housing. This is gonna be housing for the ultra-rich or the people who just pass through and want to have a little place by the sea. This is, California Coast belongs to everyone in California, and the Coastal Commission helps to protect it. Thank you for sharing your comments. Next speaker, please. Eileen Boken with Speak, thanking Board President Peskin for introducing this resolution. Speak is strongly concurring with the resolution's opposition to SB 951 by Senator Weiner. SB 951 is ill-conceived. It targets San Francisco's very narrow coastal zone and could lay the groundwork for Ocean Beach becoming Miami Beach. Even though the planning director has stated it's not the intention of the department to turn Ocean Beach into Miami Beach. However, this could uh, seem inconsistent with comments made by the planning department to Coastal Commission staff of the North Central Coast District. The planning director stated that the department views Coastal Commission requirements as bureaucratic and a waste of time. SB 951 seems to reflect the department's views, as well as being a reaction to a Coastal Commission hearing on housing on December 14, 2023. Uh, during public comment, Senator Weiner and his allies made derogatory comments about the Coastal Commission. In closing, Speaker Giselle, board members to not only support this resolution, but also to sign on as co-sponsors. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon again, uh, Supervisors Catherine Howard. Got to get used to these things. I am um, a member of the San Francisco Land Use Coalition, and I'm also here representing D Forward in the outer sunset right by the coast. We oppose SB 951, and we support this ordinance. SB 951 is not about providing affordable housing. It is about opening up our coast to developments such as the 50-story tower proposed a few blocks from the ocean and across from the zoo. It is also about Senator Wiener's continuing attacks on our environmental protections. Furthermore, I was alarmed to learn that SB 951 removes a large section of Golden Gate Park from the coastal zone. This is frankly terrifying in terms of the protections needed for our major landscape park and habitat area. Why is it in this legislation? Perhaps we can look at a prior close connection between Senator Weiner and the Department of Recreation and Park over the soccer fields where Senator Weiner was the main champion for that environmentally damaging project. Our current Recreation and Park Department is already working hard to commercialize and privatize our parks. By removing this major parkland and habitat area from the possibility of an appeal to the Coastal Commission, we are opening Golden Gate Park up to extensive exploitation. 
and I say this as one, I guess I get a gold star or something of the only two San Francisco appeals ever made to the Coastal Commission, and we lost. Obviously, I don't agree with that decision, but we had our day in court literally, and we were glad to have that opportunity, and I think everybody should have it. This fear that bureaucracy is holding up a project is not substantiating. The Coastal Commission involvement in our coast is vital to its protection. Speaker's time has Thank concluded. You. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else in the chamber who has public comment on agenda item number four from whom we have not yet heard? If so, please come forward to the lectern. Madam Chair. Okay, with that public comment on this item is now closed. President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and thank you to all the members of the public who came and testified uh, on one side or the other. I would like to make a motion to adopt the amendments that I previously read into the record and send the item. Well, let's do that first. On the motion to amend offered by Member Peskin, Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. And then I would like to make a motion to send the item as amended to the full board with a positive recommendation as a committee report. On the motion offered by Member Peskin that the resolution be recommended as amended as a committee report, Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. No. Melgar, no. Madam Chair, there are two ayes and one no with Member Melgar in the dissent. Okay, that motion passes, thank you. Let's then go back, Mr. Clerk, to item number two. Yes, just a moment, please. Agenda item number two is an ordinance amending the planning code to clarify the ministerial approval process for certain accessory dwelling units, meeting certain requirements in single family and multifamily buildings, and to permit certain ADUs in the rear yard under the city's local discretionary approval program, making findings under the California Environmental Quality Act and making findings of consistency with the general plan and the eight priority policies of planning code section 101.1, as well as section 302. Uh, okay, thank you. We have uh, Ms. Veronica Flores here to present on this item. Good afternoon again. Veronica Flores, Planning Department staff. Um, this item is returned to you. This was last appeared in front of you um, two weeks ago, January 22nd. The item is the state-mandated accessory dwelling unit or ADU ordinance introduced by the mayor. Um, since the last hearing, we do have some additional amendments that will be carried through. Um, not all of the amendments discussed two weeks ago will be carried through. So I did circulate a revised draft ordinance earlier today with the amendments highlighted. So this includes all of the amendments discussed back on December 11th of last year and reiterated um, January 22nd. The four uh, additional changes are most, mostly clarification, and those are as follows. The first is to remove the unnecessary and inaccurate uncodified findings relating tenant notification for the hybrid ADU program. 
Um, we also have a clarifying amendment to the city's state-mandated ADU program related to um, clarifying the density limits. And there's also an amendment regarding the notice of special restrictions or NSR for state-mandated ADU projects. And this is really to remove the requirement to record NSRs documenting the requirements. These requirements are already within the government code and referenced as such. And the government sections, as we all know, do change over time. NSRs typically are to record any additional um, conditions or further restrictions specific to that project. So that is another amendment we've included today. Lastly, there is an additional amendment um, put forward by President Peskin, and that is to expand the list of historic resources that are not exempt from um, neighborhood notification under Section 311, and this will be applied to only the local ADU program. We ask that those amendments, again, the amendments in their entirety, will to be um, incorporated into the ordinance and committee today, and then we will return to this body after we take this to planning commission. This concludes the staff presentation, or, or update rather, and I am also joined by Sheila Nikolopoulos. Forgive me if I mispronounced your name, um, but we are available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and thank you, Ms. Flores. Uh, I am happy to move the three amendments that planning discussed, uh, or actually the four that they discussed, three of them from planning, and one, uh, the expanded list of uh, uh, the notice for expanded historic resources, but uh, on page 27. Uh, but I want to say that I had prepared, um, and thank you, Deputy City Attorney Milanich, two other amendments uh, which would have made minor changes to the state program that would have steered more ADU uh, applicants from the state ADU program, which, despite our protestations, is not subject to rent control, into the local program, which is subject to rent control. Um, uh, and even though I was told that those amendments uh, are legally defensible and would not even rise to the level of getting a cautionary advice memo from the city attorney, uh, never ask a question if you don't want an answer, uh, we, through uh, the mayor's office, receive feedback from the state, HCD, uh, that they disagree with the legal opinion of our city attorney, uh, and therefore HCD may have taken action to harm the ability of uh, our local affordable housing developers uh, to access state affordable housing funding, uh, which is rather ironic because what these amendments intended was to create more affordable housing, but the threat is that will create less affordable housing while we're trying to create more affordable housing. Wrap your head around that. Um, and by the way, this is all over a section of code which is uh, a very ambiguous state statute, meaning that uh, the HCD threatened to, to, to defund affordable housing uh, to defend their own interpretation of the statute, which, as I said, uh, differs from our local 
city attorney's legal advice. Um, instead of being able to get to the bottom of this ambiguity uh, in state ADU law, uh, in an appropriate legal venue like a court of competent jurisdiction uh, or a discussion between attorneys, uh, instead HCD resorted to their usual, which was threats and bullying, uh, which you know could ultimately have the effect of reducing uh, the number of ADUs subject to rent control. Uh, but because I do not wish to enable HCD to even possibly follow through with their bullying and threats, uh, I will shelve these amendments. Um, but I just want to say for the record that uh, I deeply object to this method of uh, intimidation policy making. And um, my amendments would have expanded our innovative local policy to build more affordable housing through rent control and in response as I've said repeatedly now, HCD threatened de to defund affordable housing. Um, the level of state interference uh, with a city that has a demonstrated track record of using a variety of tools to allow people to age in place, to enjoy the benefits of rent control, uh, to lead the state on the development of affordable housing uh, by bullying local policymakers, uh, I think is really threatening our ability to uh, create and maintain affordable housing uh, while simultaneously uh, threading, you know, affordable housing funding. Um, uh, anyway, it is deeply troubling um, and I'm not going to introduce those amendments, um, but I wanted to say all of that for the record. But I will introduce the other four amendments, which as Ms. Flores said, will require re-referral of the ordinance to uh, the Planning Commission. Um, those were the Planning Department's uh, proposed amendments that necessitate that re-referral, um, and then we can take it up after the Planning Commission has heard it. Thank you, President Peskin. So I'd like to hear from Ms. Flores about uh, the timeline of this re-referral to the Planning Commission and whether or not we can still make it to get the pro-housing uh, designation in time to not risk millions of dollars in affordable housing and transportation funding? Yes. Um, thank you, Chair Melgar. So after committee today, um, we are tentatively looking at a March 7th Planning Commission hearing. Um, still need confirmation for that. Um, if we are able to move forward with that date, we we could optimistically proceed back at committee the following Monday on um, the March 11th, I believe. And if we're able to successfully get that out of committee, we could go um, forward with a second read on March 19th. So March 19th, I believe, is the deadline or... Um, one of the milestones for the pro-housing designation. Um, I don't understand the different points involved, but we would be able to get our second read and adopted that day. And then from there, um, I'm, I'm still waiting to learn if HCD will consider that as acceptable for meeting this target deadline. Okay, so we're doing all this and we still don't know if HCD is going to, uh, maybe Ms. Nicolopoulos can shed some light on this timing issue. Good afternoon, Sheila Nicolopoulos with MOHCD. 
Based on our conversations with HCDR, they would like to see significant progress in moving this amendment forward. So we believe that if we can get it through the second reading by the 19th, we feel fairly confident, but we don't have an absolute um, certainty from the HCD on that. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, uh, so uh, after conferring with uh, President Peskin, I think it would be wise to uh, duplicate the file um, and uh, perhaps take the amendments that he intended um, and continue to the call of the chair to give us time to, uh, you know, see if we can come to any agreement uh, with HCD uh, on the rent control units. I just want to add that, you know, we went through this exact same issue uh, with the uh, uh, family housing opportunity uh, legislation since um, that also has, you know, rent control uh, in the units that are being created for rental. So, uh, you know, it may be that we don't come to an agreement, but it may be that we could. Uh, so I won't schedule it until, you know, we are ready to uh, to do that after we've had those uh, conversations with HCD, but I don't want to get in the way of getting the pro-housing designation because that is very, very important to us. So if we could uh, duplicate that file uh, and then we can do that after public comment, you know, the amendments and stuff, if that's okay. Uh, President Peskin. So two things. One is you will see colleagues in, there were a number of amendments discussed at our meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, which are set forth in uh, what I circulated to you earlier, and Ms. Veronica, Ms. Flores has uh, hard copies if you want them. The yellow amendments are the four amendments that Ms. Flores discussed today. The green amendments were discussed by us uh, and were actually uh, to be in accordance with issues HCD raised earlier. So I wanted to let you know that both the green and yellow amendments are before us and the entire package would be re-referred to the Planning Commission. Um, through the chair to Deputy City Attorney Milinich, I very much appreciate uh, Chair Melgar's um, idea here, um, as much as it rankles me, of negotiating uh, with our state overlords. Um, and would be happy to uh, do what Supervisor Melgar is suggesting, which is to duplicate the file. Um, I believe that you actually prepared the uh, two amendments that I was not going to move today, but I'd be happy to move them into the duplicated file so those discussions can occur. Um, but I have not circulated them to my colleagues, but we could do that in the next few minutes. And we've got one more item on the agenda. Are they ready to go? Uh, good afternoon, President Peskin, uh, Chair Melgar, Vice Chair Preston. Uh, no, these amendments are not ready to be added to a duplicated file at this time. Okay, so, so we could duplicate and then yeah. add them at some point in the not-too-distant future, but we will have two files that are the same, so we need to make them a little bit different, right? Deputy City Attorney Pearson, yes. Deputy City Attorney Pearson, that's correct. Um, but you could all. If we duplicate it now, amended in the green and yellow changes to one file, sent that one back, kept the un, unamended file here, that would do the job. That's right. You could also not duplicate it now, wait for it to come back, and duplicate it then. Well, the only question here. 
is would my amendments have to be re-referred? Give me just a moment to ponder <laughs> that question. Yes, at least one of your amendments would require a referral back to the commission. How about, and I don't want to put you on the spot through the chair to Deputy City Attorney Milinich, given our stop, start, and HCD's unwelcome intervention. Um, if we continued this item one week, could they be ready and we could send the entire package back for one re-referral rather than doing it piecemeal? Again, Deputy City Attorney Peter, <coughs> Peter Milianich, um, they, it, it, our office probably could have those amendments ready for you in one week, but the sense that I've received from the planning department and the mayor's office is that the timing on re-referral and ultimately passage of these additional amendments is very tight. Yeah. And that the uh, deadline for receiving the pro-housing designation from the state is nearly upon us and i would be reluctant to recommend any delay even of a week before referring back to got the, it the so how motion. about we duplicate the file keep one here put it on the agenda next week for the sole purpose of adding that language seeing if we can toss it to planning maybe have them meet at the same time so that uh the trailing one and the one that we re-refer today will be on the same can be all considered by the planning commission at the same time so maybe it will all work so how about how do you feel about duplicate send one re-refer one and continue the that one to the call of the chair until the planning commission's done amend the duplicated file next week re-refer that and hopefully they all meet together and we can consider we can we can use your good offices chair melgar to uh, go and I mean, sure. With I, HCD. Sure. Uh, if it if the timing doesn't work, though, right, I, I just want to make sure that we have a file that is amended accordingly that can be acted on at the planning commission to get into the hoop by you know March nineteenth. We would send that one out today. Yeah. And okay. if the other one caught up and planning, you know, scheduled this for two weeks time and they could analyze it, great. And if they can't, okay. so be it. Let's let's take public comment on this item. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you're here to give public comment on agenda item number two, please come forward to the lectern at this time. First speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Jake Price again with the Housing Action Coalition, um, urging you all to support this resolution or this legislation so we can achieve a pro-housing designation. Um, achieving a pro-housing designation helps us stand out for grants from the state uh, and every point matters. This is especially important uh, given the proposed cuts in the state budget for non-ASIC affordable housing funding. Um, and I will keep this brief. So my last comment is that ADUs on their own are good policy even without uh, the vital pro-housing designation at stake. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Uh, Annie Fryman speaking with Spur today. I'm going to have my phone out because I have a list of things to read off. 
Um, as has been mentioned, we need this ordinance in order to receive a pro-housing designation by the state. And the reason we need that is so that we can continue to qualify for highly competitive state funding for transportation and affordable housing, which are two really, really critical citywide priorities that are on the chopping block right now through other state funds. The only thing that we need left to do to earn that designation is to pass this out ordinance out of the full board before the 2024 deadline for the funding applications. And I think it's also important to distinguish this specific pot of funding compared to other types. This is the only pot of affordable housing funding that is sort of protected from state budget cuts because it's funded by the state's cap and trade auction. And so that's the reason that in this time where every dollar is all the more precious and rare, we need to maximize our chances because this pot will certainly be oversubscribed even more than we are accustomed to. Um, What's on the block? So we have four applications that are lined up and ready to go for that March 19th deadline, totaling 472 units of affordable and permanent supportive housing in 100% affordable housing projects, as well as up to $40 million, or up to $60 million in transportation improvements uh, for the Muni system and other bicycle and pedestrian improvements around those projects. The developers that would be implicated in this and could be disadvantaged in that process include Mission Economic Development Corporation, San Francisco Housing Development Corporation, Related's Affordable Housing Division, and a couple projects from Mercy Housing. Um, there are in District 6, District 11, District 9, and in District 8, um, and span beneficiaries such as seniors um, and other families experiencing homelessness. Uh, thank you so much, and I thank urge you your support. for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Once again, Jane Natoli with SFMB. Uh, urging support of this ADU ordinance moving forward. As you've heard, this is important for our pro-housing designation. A lot of that money in some of those applications comes down to one or two points. It's very narrow. Every little thing we, we can do can help that. Uh, and so... This is an important piece of the puzzle for us and what is going to be a tough time as we're looking at how to put together more funds to continue to support production of affordable housing throughout San Francisco. And also looking forward to the production of ADUs as, as Jake noted, uh, just the ability to be able to do that, that, that's an important piece, continuing to keep that in mind. That's another piece of the puzzle here. So thanks for your attention on this and I'm looking forward to this passing and us getting that pro-housing designation. Thank you for sharing your comments. Next speaker, please. Unfortunately, I have a lot of experience with this. At the beginning of COVID, my neighbor on one side decided to completely tear their house apart and rebuild it. They destroyed every wall in my house. I have six foot cracks in my house. My foundation is broken up. It was a nightmare. And I've met with the city and I said, look, if you're going to do this and you're going to move these things forward, at least take into consideration the people that are affected by it next door. So while that project was still going on, and if you guys could look at me when I'm talking, I'd appreciate it. During, during the time that was going on, the neighbor on the other side started tearing their house apart and they weren't going to do anything other than just a front remodel. They ended up tearing out over half of their house broke up more of my house, 
And then both of them put ADUs in their backyard, whether they're legal or not, I don't know. Then the house behind has an ADU. And then the house on the corner, which is an affordable housing unit, they tore all of that apart. So I went through three years of construction, of which none of the construction people want to return calls or respond when there's problems. They ignore you. And they can do it 365, seven days a week from 7.45, actually some of them start at 6.30, until 8 o'clock at night. There was no break at all. It was horrible. So when you guys are proposing these things in this beautiful office that looks so fancy and nice, you need to take in consideration how does it impact the people that are going to have to deal with the, the hell that is created from it. And now my backyard, every time that a river goes through, my backyard fills up. I have at least six to eight inches of rain in my backyard. It actually sloshes back and forth. I have to run out there with a pole and punch holes in the ground, trying to open up, hoping I'm going to hit a mole hole so that the water goes down. So these things you do when they're not implemented properly and not thought through properly mess with people's lives. Speaker's time has concluded. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hi again, commission, uh, supervisors. Um, I want to say I support this because I have a buyer right now that's looking for a single-family home to put an ADU in the backyard. And he's like looking at the cost and trying to understand the plumbing department here at the planning and everything. And it's just so convoluted. Hopefully this will streamline the process and make it more affordable for him to put in an ADU in the backyard. Because he was looking to move into that and rent out the front, the single family house in the front. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Chair Melgar and Supervisors. Uh, John Avalos with the Council of Community Housing Organizations. Uh, Choo Choo is supportive of this legislation to conform San Francisco's ADU policy with state law. We do have concerns, however, that conforming with state law means the city may need to let go of certain tenant protections, at least for the moment, putting in jeopardy San Francisco's pro-housing designation and valuable points in scoring San Francisco against state affordable housing sustainable communities funding criteria. On the line is $200 million in transit and affordable housing funding for projects in District 6, uh, in District 10, and in District 9. Uh, the Patero Yard, uh, the Sunnydale Block 9 project, that's a Mercy project. Uh, the Patero Yard is a, a meta project. My phone is not working right here. Um, if San Francisco loses its pro-housing designation, all of these transit-oriented development affordable housing projects would be less competitive in scoring for state transit and affordable housing dollars. Overall, we agree with President Peskin. This legislation illustrates how the state mandates are often unsuitable for local jurisdictions like San Francisco, jurisdictions that are devoted to affordable housing, rent control, and transit. Ironies abound and underscore the need for the state to recognize that local jurisdictions must be able to assert a greater amount of self-determination to get development right as we produce, preserve, and protect affordable housing and prevent overall displacement. For one side, the real, the real estate lobby or the state to impose its will over local jurisdictions and the people they serve will only lead to endless fighting to no good end. There's healthy tension that's come together in helping to support this legislation. Choo Choo has been talking with Spur and Hack and among ourselves to understand that we need to be able to actually plan effectively and a healthy tension helps to do so. We can actually disagree but find common ground. We look forward to working with you on trailing legislation. Thank you so much.
Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Do we have anyone further who has public comment on agenda item number two at this time? Madam Chair. Okay, Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Chair Mulgar. Um, so I just uh, want to uh, comment on the, uh, what I think um, Mr. Avalos just referred to as ir some ironies and, and certainly uh, President Peskin has spoken to some of these. And uh, I, I just want to note the, the utter absurdity of the situation right now in state law and the use of the pro-housing designation. It's funny when things get sort of normalized into our conversation. It's a great success of sort of propaganda efforts, but we somehow went from uh, the invention of the term pro-housing by uh, developer lobbyists to the adoption of that term by our local and then national media, thanks to a well-funded uh, uh, organizing campaign online uh, to normalize the term pro-housing to basically mean pro-market uh, rate housing, streamlining and deregulation and elimination of affordable housing requirements. Um, to now having that work its way you know, in the last few years now into state law where we just throw around the term uh, as if uh, pro-housing somehow means uh, something here. And, and let's be clear that the pro-housing designation that I put in air quotes here, I mean, kudos to the, uh, the, the reshaping of uh, of language and um, but you know our pro-housing designation with these threats from the state is not it's not at risk based on our failure to build affordable housing right that that's what's so troubling about how this term is used so it's at risk as I've said in prior hearings based on the level to which we are deregulating and streamlining uh, uh, market rate housing that is not affordable to most working people in San Francisco. So our pro-housing designation, for example, is not at risk because uh, this administration refuses to spend over hundreds of millions of dollars of Prop I funding on affordable housing. They, we don't see the state intervening and saying, well, you're not pro-housing because you're not using these funds for affordable housing. We don't see the state springing to action on uh, Parcel K, even though we have filed a complaint with HCD, but I don't see them weighing in here yet uh, on whether we should build building affordable housing on a city-owned affordable housing site where the city has been promising now for decades uh, and reneging on promises to build affordable housing. But we don't get a letter warning that uh, the administration that if we don't uh, act on that and build 100 units of affordable housing on that site, we're somehow not pro-housing, right? We don't get that kind of warning letter when the administration reneges on uh, plans and a fully funded plan to build affordable housing, 160 units of it at 400 Divisadero, and the list could go on. I just want to, you know, really make the point that that the the uh, I just don't want to overly normalize the absurdity of how the state uh, acts. I also want to point out that for a lot of the advocates. Um, who cite these deadlines and these threats from the state as if they came out of nowhere. I just want to be clear that these are the same advocates who advocated for the very policies that create this absurd system where the state conditions our affordable housing and transportation money on the extent to which we deregulate 
uh, and streamline the production of unaffordable housing. And I want to separate that from the very legitimate question about streamlining and deregulating and incentivizing market rate housing. That's a fair discussion to have in our city. But there's something very sick about a system that conditions affordable housing money on how effectively the city uh, creates housing that is not affordable to most working people. Uh, and that is the system created by the real estate lobby, the, the SFUMB and other groups that are here, uh, and, uh, and real estate interests in the capital. That's how we end up with this. So it's just, you know, when we hear this testimony over and over again, we're somehow putting these things at risk. Yes, these things are at risk because of a system that you lobbied for and created that is undermining affordable housing in San Francisco, as President Peskin's pointed out in this case, undermining rent control protections uh, on, uh, on ADUs. Um, so I think if it were, let me, let me just give you an example if we were in another context, because maybe sometimes people have trouble seeing it in the housing context, but it would be like if we had the state withholding funds for hospitals that serve low-income people uh, based on how efficiently uh, the, uh, the, the, the city, the permitting process for uh, upscale plastic surgery clinics, uh, how quickly that was sped up. You know, that would be utterly absurd. We're going to withhold funding for hospitals delivering uh, critical medical care to low-income people uh, based on whether they are uh, pro-health. And the question on pro-health was, how quickly do they allow upscale medical clinics for things like plastic surgery and other things, how quickly do they allow them to be permitted? Like, the absurdity of, of that situation. So this goes beyond the, uh, the, the ADU question that's before us, but I think that when, uh, when we have these presentations, public comment and now in state law, uh, and the threats from the state, we have to recognize that where that comes from and how damaging it is to efforts locally uh, to create affordable housing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the, uh, thank you, Vice Chair Preston. Uh, the clerk, uh, Mr. Clerk, uh, reminded me I had failed to close public comment, so public comment on this item is now closed. Um, so, uh, do you want to make a motion, President Peskin? Sure. I would like to first duplicate the file. Then I would like to amend the original file to add all of the green and yellow, thank you, Deputy City Attorney Milinich, uh, amendments that have previously been discussed. That would be my first the duplication I do as of right and the amendment to amend the original file has been made. Motion has been offered by Member Peskin to amend the original file. On that motion, Vice Chair, Pres uh, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes to amend the original file. Okay. Then I would like to make a motion to continue the amended original file to the call of the chair pending its uh, re-referral to planning and their 
recommendation thereon. And I guess that requires a roll call. On the motion offered by Member Peskin that the original file be continued to the call of the chair as amended. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes once again. And then, as to the duplicated file, I would like to continue that one week uh, to incorporate the amendments that we started and stopped um, so that we can vote on those hopefully next week and refer that to planning to catch up with the file that we just re-referred. So motion to continue the amended, the duplicated file one week. Which, as it was duplicated, contains none of the amendments that have been that presented. That is correct. correct. Very good. On the motion that's offered by Member Peskin that the duplicated file now be continued to February 12th, on that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes once again. Okay, that motion passes. Thank you. Uh, let's go to uh, our last item, number five, please, Mr. Clerk. Just a moment while I correct a few things in my notes. Very good. Agenda item number five is an ordinance amending the planning code to conditionally waive certain fees for projects along the corridor of the downtown rail extension, affirming the planning department's secret determination, making findings of consistency with the general plan and the eight priority policies in planning code section 101.1 as well as section 302. Okay, thank you. We have uh, Ms. Madison Tamp here from Supervisor Dorsey's office, who is the sponsor of this item. Welcome, Ms. Tam. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and good afternoon, uh, Chair and members of the committee. Madison Tam representing Supervisor Dorsey, the sponsor of this legislation. Uh, the supervisor would like to commend the productive coordination between the city, TJPA, OEWD, and the developer, Tishman Spire, uh, to get a deal structure that is really a win-win for everyone. This legislation both supports our ambitious goals to build more housing, uh, particularly uh, this legislation pertaining to Central Soma, and to support the TJPA's portal project. Um, through the chair, uh, we have a presentation uh, on the legislation from uh, Lee Lutensky at OAWD and Monica uh, Giacomucci from the Planning Department. Welcome. Great, thank you so much, Madison. Um, good afternoon, members of the committee. Monica Giacomucci with Planning Department staff. Today I'm joined by Lee, as Madison mentioned, from the Mayor's Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Um, and we'll provide a brief overview of the ordinance for you today, as well as um, a recap of the Planning Commission recommendation. Um, the ordinance for your consideration today would amend Section 406 of the Planning Code to allow projects located along the downtown rail extension, also known as the portal, to conditionally waive or reduce their assessed transportation sustainability fees and Eastern Neighborhoods infrastructure impact fees. On December 14, 2023, the Planning Commission passed a resolution recommending approval of this ordinance, amending Planning Code Section 406 to the Board of Supervisors, and likewise affirm the Planning Department's determination under the California Environmental Quality Act, made findings of consistency with the general plan and the eight priority policies of Planning Code Section 101.1, and made findings of public necessity, convenience, and welfare pursuant to Planning Code Section 302. The commission did not request any modifications to the ordinance as proposed. 
In recommending their approval, the Planning Commission found that the proposed waivers are reasonable given that, in general, monies dispersed to the Eastern Neighborhood's Infrastructure Impact Fee and Transportation Sustainability Fee fund infrastructure and transportation-related projects, and that partnership with TJPA in selecting sympathetic foundation types naturally supports the respective fee funds overall goal of improving and increasing safe transit options and supporting infrastructure development in the city and specifically in the south of market area. Likewise, the ordinance would encourage early interagency coordination for development projects that would likely require specific approaches to avoid any impacts to the ongoing portal project. This map that was provided to us by TJPA, as you can see on the slide here, um, shows the path of the portal, which generally takes an L-shaped path from the Caltrain station at 4th and King, running east under Townsend Street, and then turning north to run under 2nd Street to the Transit Center. Next slide, please, Lee, thanks. Um, in order for a project to be considered for a fee waiver, the project sponsor must enter into an agreement with TJPA to select an enhanced foundation type or shoring system that will mitigate the impact on the downtown extension tunnel. If a project sponsor and TJPA agree upon an enhanced foundation type which mitigates um, any impacts to DTX, and if the cost of that foundation type is found to equal or exceed the cost of a standard or baseline foundation, then the project will be eligible for waivers of both the transportation sustainability fee and Eastern Neighborhoods Infrastructure Impact Fee in a cumulative amount commensurate with the net increase in cost as verified by a third-party cost validator. This independent financial consultant will be contracted by the planning department and will provide a detailed report describing their cost analysis to planning staff, which we will then review as we assess the project's impact fees. The ordinance would advance the city's overall housing goals by facilitating construction of existing projects that have been stalled over the past few years. Um, and a good specific example of this is a project including 1,105 new dwelling units at 655 4th Street, which is located just across from the 4th and King Caltrain station and directly above the portal. Um, and it was approved by the Planning Commission on December 14th. So this concludes our presentation, and Lee and I are happy to answer any questions you may have about the proposed ordinance. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Do we have any questions or comments, colleagues? Okay, let's go to public comment on this item then, Mr. Clerk. Thank you. If you have public comment for agenda item number five, please come forward to lectern at this time. Good afternoon, supervisors. <clears throat> My name is Cameron Robbins. Uh, I work with the operating engineers who represent roughly 38,000 members. Um, the operating engineers, Local 3, supports the downtown extension fee waiver. The waiver of fees for qualifying projects in the central SOMA plan area can stimulate economic activity and create job opportunities. This legislation encourages investments in the area, leading to construction projects and ultimately the transformative project of the downtown extension tunnel. These are important projects for our members. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number five? Madam Chair. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Giacomucci and Ms. Lutensky for the presentation. Um, I would like to uh, make motion to send this item out of committee with a positive recommendation. On the motion offered by Chair Melgar that agenda item number five be sent to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation to the Land Use and Transportation Committee. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. 
Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Thank you. Uh, do we have any other items on our agenda, Mr. Clerk? Basically not. There is no further business. Okay, we are adjourned. Thank you.